Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. everybody welcome to the hooked on podcast welcome to how to be great looking forward to going through another superb topic with you this week quite timely quite interesting something we can draw on from lots of different eras i'm going to introduce you to someone he's from one specific era he's from the 90s but we do try to drag him into the modern day every now and again he's showbiz paul benson hiya paul Cowabunga dudes! <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. How, How are you guys? How are everyone? I know everyone else is saying, oh, 2020, eh? But you've been saying that kind of thing for approximately 19 and a half years. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. The uh, the most mournful moment in my life was when the clock struck on the uh, 31st of December 1999. Not only because it was the end of the 90s, but also because of that precise moment I was... Um, performing the miraculous feat, thanks to my friend Dave France, of getting thrown out of my own family's millennium party. So wow. that was a that was a fitting end to the greatest decade. There you go. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a lovely story, a heartwarming tale uh, <laughs> to begin this week's podcast. Uh, once again, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to How To Be Great. What we do on this podcast uh, is we take a topic, we drill down into it, we look at it from all various different angles, uh, and then we decide I was right. No, that's not quite. That's a Brian Clough uh, comment. But what we do do is we try and come up with our top five in a specific genre. And we do mean specific. We go right into the uh, the nitty gritty of what we're talking about. Come up with the top five and then we present it over to you, uh, the Hooked On Wrestling viewers and listeners. Because if you're watching this on YouTube, hello. But we're also available on podcasts. And if you're listening on podcasts, oh yeah, but we're also on YouTube. Um, it's over to you after that. Uh, once we've done R5, you choose the winner from that particular topic. We've gone all to different places with this. We've done different wrestling moves. We've done different wrestlers, their theme tunes. We've done pay-per-views. We've done matches. We've done gimmicks. We've done all sorts. Today, we're going to tag teams, and we're going to be discussing the greatest ever tag team breakups. Before we do... Uh, we do need to do the results from last time. And this is the moment where I always just spin it out that little bit extra, just so Paul's got enough time to click and get it on the screen. I'm, I'm there. I'm oh, there. there. Okay. It's, uh, oh, the floor is yours then. Tell us all about uh, all about last week and uh, the top five so, we came up with. Indeed, the winner. So last week, it does feel like a serious amount of time ago. It doesn't feel like just a week ago, but... A week ago it was, and we discussed what is the greatest moment uh, of Mr. McMahon, of the Mr. McMahon character. What was his best on-screen moment? And listeners, it was a massacre. A St. Valentine's Day massacre, you could say, but that wasn't the winning choice. In fact, it wasn't even on the poll. With over 80%, this is a second runaway winner in a row, actually, with over 80% of the votes, paging Dr. Austin. Mankind and Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon 
in the hospital. Bedpan mania, whatever you want to call it, the birth of Mr. Socko, that was the winner by a gigantic margin. Everything else was pretty much, you know, roughly 5% each, give or take a couple of percent, uh, sorry, a couple of point, points of a percent, but over 80% went with uh, Mr. McMahon in the hospital. So a, a, a clear winner. Yeah, I'm not greatly surprised, but I'm, and I'm also relatively okay with that because I feel like we were coming up with lots of things last week which were either very, very significant to the storyline of him and Steve Austin or, or to whatever, or they were very funny. Do you know, it was a little mm. bit of an either-or. Either yeah. an oh-my-goodness oh moment or a really iconic moment, uh, and this is how we got forward to you know to a big match or whatever it was. You know, specifically, we talked about the arm behind the uh, back match that didn't quite become a match, which led into Dude Love. Great storytelling. Um, and other times, but there was also a few things we didn't put on there, wasn't there? Such as uh, Vince you know, breaking his quads when trying to get into the ring or a few other very strange comments he may have made. Because they, they, they were going for the ha-ha a little bit. And it was a bit of, it was a, it might be funny, but it was a bit of a one-off. This winner, let's call it Bedpan McMahon, a lot of people call it, 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 it fits both, doesn't it? Because it does further the Austin McMahon storyline. It does further the, the Mick Foley character. It does introduce Mr. Socko. But it's also very funny. It, it, it's got that rare, rare thing. They say funny isn't money, don't they? Or funny doesn't draw right. money. This is an example of how you can be humorous within a storyline that's already over and keep it running. Yeah, absolutely. They they do say that indeed, and by and large, there's a reason for that. But there are exceptions to every rule, and this is a massive exception. The comedy, and Vince McMahon actually was much more of a comedy character than anyone would ever give him credit for. And because he had that special power that very few had of, of being comedic, but then just like that, becoming the most dastardly man in the room. Um, and it made it opened up so many possibilities for the various feuds and the various angles he was in. And I think it was great fun going through them all. You know, it was one of those where it wasn't. I'll be honest, there wasn't a lot of meat to get stuck into. There wasn't a lot of meat on the bone, was there, for us to talk about under each individual one, but it was a great trip down memory lane. I ended up going back and watching quite a few of them after we talked, actually, because it made me laugh so much. Um, I find that happens a lot after we've recorded these podcasts. I end up uh, <laughs> going straight to my network and staying up far too late than I ought to after we've recorded. Um, I, exactly I also think last week's, last week's topic was a little bit like, again, we often refer to the um, uh, something to wrestle with, podcast with conrad thompson and bruce pritchard because it's such a phenomenon and quite often conrad will talk about the fact that people will say no oh, the topic next week is so and so that was a terrible show or the topic next week is so and so i wasn't a fan of his and conrad often says well actually if you just do the history of people that you like it's not that interesting because you know the stories anyway and it's just happy stuff where sometimes if it's something that's a bit more traumatic or it's someone that's got a bit more character outside of the ring, they actually make for better podcasts. And I felt like last week's was one of those, I couldn't get amped up for let's talk about the best moments of Mr. McMahon. But after we finished recording it, I sort of felt, actually, that was really good fun. That was that was something yeah, that, yeah, me too. that I wasn't expecting. Me too. The prep wasn't very much fun, but the actual discussion and, the, and going back and hopefully some people listening did exactly the same because that's what the idea of this is. To prompt people to have a little trip down memory lane so if anybody else you know let us know if anybody else subsequently went and rediscovered the, the joy of the mr mcmahon character um you know do you know what we were really remiss it was, we didn't even talk about the stuff with angle and austin in 2001 did we we missed all of that out we did but i think what we often we often commented was that uh, there were times where 
it was Mr. McMahon driven and there was times where he was in the ring while something else was going on. And that, as you just said, but they do feel kind of like, I know they were vying for the attention of Vince, but it feels like, you know, Kurt Angle's little hat and Steve Austin's guitar and whatever were the focus of those moments rather than, rather than Vince himself. But no, fair point. And we probably should have uh, touched on those uh, a wee bit. Again, that's part of the fun. Uh, is after the record to uh, to have people get in touch and say, well, what about this and what about that? I'm forever doing it with those top 20, top 50 shows that are on Channel 4 or whatever. And I know that these things are put together by producers to make uh, headlines when I still get angry. <laughs> I watched one the other yeah. week. How's, how is how is Midsummer Murders above Jonathan Creek on the best ever detectives? I've had to calm myself down. Was, what are you getting annoyed about, you stupid man? Anyway, we know that every week, there are people that go, how could you leave that off the five? And I'm sure that is going to happen again, because what we're going to come up with, folks, is our top five tag team breakups across uh, across history, across wrestling. Uh, we are not we generally talk WWE, but that's because WWE has dominated the landscape throughout our lifetimes. We often cover things within the WrestleMania era. It's a little bit of a shorthand of saying the last 30, 35 years or so. It's a little bit like when uh, football refers to in the history of the Premier league sometimes that's a bit arrogant to suggest that there's no football before the premier league but sometimes it's just a nice little guide to the last little while and i I feel like the wwe the wwf before that has dominated the landscape so that is why it comes up a lot in our topics however everything's open so we're going to be having a look at various different um uh promotions tonight and if whenever we suggest something on social media as we always do particularly on our facebook page uh please do suggest things from various different companies but i think we are going to be kind of wwf heavy tonight i know my list certainly features them most of all um paul before we get into it i feel like we ought to address one or two things is what constitutes a tag team breakup uh one of two things one is how do we constitute a tag team you know how how defined do they need to be can it be a couple of people that were teaming for a month and then split up is that okay um is it two people that are just buddies uh and aren't necessarily a tag team but they're good friends and then they split up and what about factions what about when there's groups of three four five or more how do we define what happens there is kicking one person out enough or do they have to break up as a group there's a few questions that we're going to need to answer i think we're going to answer them as we go but right now, where do you stand on, on some of those issues before we get into this? Well, I've got an opinion on this, and it is just an opinion. Um, you know, for me, um, first of all, there's a very, there's a big difference between a faction and a tag team. So, um, I could, I think the sh- guys like the Shield and the New Day, like Freebirds, they sort of, you could call them a tag team or a faction. So, I think for the benefit of this discussion, they fit. What I would say is that. The, the breakup would only count is if it broke up the team. So let's say the New Day kicked out Xavier Woods tomorrow. That's not a breakup. That's a kicking a member out. But if they all went their separate ways, that's a breakup. So if it's a three-man unit, we need to we need to make sure it's a complete end to that team. Um, and in terms of you know what constitutes tag team, what constitutes group friends, it's a hard again. It's a slightly difficult line to tread. But when I was doing my research, I saw some people suggest. That the, uh, the for instance the John Cena Shawn Michaels tag team was a great tag team breakup. That's the wrong side of the line for me because they were put together purely for a story. And I think that's to me that that maybe is maybe the line for me. If a team's put together simply to service a specific story, then it doesn't count. Um, if if they're put together two, to, if they're put together to break up, then it doesn't count. 
Like like uh, like the Spice Girls. <laughs> Meow. Oh, but yeah, it was meant to be a satirical dig at the music industry. But yeah, we're talking about you're talking about groups that are thrown together from a marketing team as opposed to they were you know playing no, no, no. when they were at college together. I'm talking about if they are literally like the Shawn Michaels, John Cena one's a good example. Those two were put together to facilitate the breakup. Yeah, there was there was no other reason to team, so that would disqualify it for me. And there's a few on this list that you would could definitely call makeshift teams. I've got a few written down where the teams lasted. A relatively short period of time, but they count as a team to me. Um, but obviously, that is that's up to you and the listeners whether you concur. Well, I've got one I want to discuss right at the top because I think it's something we have talked about many times before um, on the podcast, on our other podcasts, on hookedonwrestling.co.uk. Because it's, I know, in both of our opinions, it's one of the greatest segments that WWE have ever done. Go on. But I do not consider the Festival of Friendship breaking up Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho as part of this discussion. Because I never, ever think of Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens as a tag team. I think of them as two individuals that were best friends on television. And I don't ever think of them as a tag team. So I wouldn't have them on this list. And this is what I want to go to straight away. Because if we were to discuss them, discuss them as a tag team... I think we'd be getting out the permanent marker and inking them in at the top because it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened. But to me, they're not a team. I don't think of, they will have teamed up. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. They will have had, I'm not saying they never tag teamed. Clearly they would have tag teamed. But to me, they were storyline friends. They weren't a storyline unit. Well, that is an interesting one. I think I probably agree with you because they were more friends than a team, weren't they? Um, yeah, I guess you're probably right. I guess you're probably right. I just, I just want to get it. Over, I want to get it over with quickly because I feel like we're not going to include it, and people are going to go, "How can you leave that off?" And absolutely, Paul and I adore that particular segment, don't we? We, we both think it's amazing. So we need to just make clear at the top that um, that's why we're probably not going to include it, or at least from my perspective. Fair, yeah, I, I think I think that's a really good decision, and maybe that is the line. You know, to me, there if there is a line, they are right below it. It's I, I almost want to say if the team has a name, <laughs> then it's okay. But then you know, Edge and Christian never really had a name, did they? So it doesn't it doesn't quite work that way. Um, no, quite. That's, a sort of, that's a sort of rule you can break. But you feel like if if they were together long enough that they ended up having a tag team name, then that's fine. But you know, there is there is no real there's no Owen Owen Co or Jer Owens or anything like that, is there? There's no sort of uh, absolutely. Um, they may have called themselves best friends, but then there's other tag teams that have done that. Um, there's one other one that I've got written down to talk about early on, um, but you've kind of covered it in the sense of talking about a group and it would need to facilitate the breakup because when we first suggested this, well, we first brought um, broadcast that we were going to do this in our Sunday night quiz. I think at least a couple of people uh, in our chat room suggested uh randy orton leaving evolution um you remember the whole thumbs down thing uh and triple h dropping him backwards well i would say that clearly can't count no um, not, not even close because evolution did not break up okay that just went from you know four men to three men that's how it, how it went however do we discuss when batista did the thumbs down on triple h and attack Triple H because does Evolution exist after Batista leaves Evolution? 
No, we absolutely don't, because Evolution was clearly, by every measure, a stable or a faction rather than a tag team. There are some squads that blur the lines. They're not one of them. They were not a tag team. Rick Flair and Batista were a tag team. Evolution was not. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. I just want to do... Um... To, to, to bring that up because it was it was certainly one that uh, the people have talked about. Yeah, I would I would call them I would still refer to them as a faction would be my thing because to me a stable is if a, you know there's not really any stables around anymore. But stables to me would be if you had a manager who had several wrestlers like Camp Cornette is yes. a stable. Um, You're right. You know, because he had Owen and he had Bulldog and he had Yoko and he had Vader and whatever. To me that's and, that's and, a stable. A disparate list of clients, the million dollar team, the Heenan family. Yeah, that, exactly. That sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. Um, we're not really covering any of those. I agree with you. It needs to be, their raison d'etre needs to be teaming with each other. So we may come to them, but the Wyatt family or the Shield or whatever, we we can probably include those because you would you would know them as being as tag team partners, even if they were six man tags, they were still very much uh, a tag team Correct. unit. Right? I think, I think we've covered some of the um, the detail that we uh, you know that we're going to need to go over at, at the early stages. So with that in mind, and having just mentioned the Festival of Friendship. I'm going to go in with a big one off the top. Go on, then. I'm going to talk about the barbershop window. I'm going to talk no. about the rock. I'm oh, going to talk wow. about the rockers. I'm Why going to talk about... When, through a window? Bloody hell. I'm going to talk about when Marty Janetti was so frightened of Shawn Michaels that he had to run away from him and dive through a window just to escape how bad he felt for letting Shawn down. Did anyone see what Brutus Beefcake was doing during that segment? Can we be sure that it wasn't him that did it rather than Shawn Michaels? Yeah, should we blame him? Do you think it was do you think it was Brutus? Do you think it was his fault? All, all these years they were getting on like a house on fire, and the minute that Brutus the Barber Beefcake comes onto the fucking scene, Marty's gone through a window and the team is no more. I think the barber has a lot to answer for. Maybe so. Um, I've done a lot of writing about this, folks. If you go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk, I don't know how the search functionality will find that sort of thing, but certainly if you Google the Hooked on Wrestling Barbershop window, uh, you or you would find sufficient uh, things. I wrote a thing called the Barbershop... Uh, what was what I call it? The Barbershop... Barbershop Trilogy. In fact, you can Trilogy. Have, if, you go to our, if you go to our feature section, it's got its own section. It's oh, such wow. a good body of work. You can you go, to, go to the features menu and the drop-down menu there will give you the Barbershop Trilogy right off the bat. You can go straight to it. Couldn't remember for the life of me what I could. And it. you should, if you have not listened, if you've not read this trio of columns, then absolutely do that. This trio of columns was so good, ladies and gentlemen, that one of them didn't just get retweeted by Chris Jericho. It got retweeted by Chris Jericho, who then tagged Shawn Michaels, suggesting he should read it. That it is true. That, good. that is so, true. That, if, if, if Chris Jericho, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, is suggesting to one of the other greatest wrestlers of all time that this piece of wrestling literature, column work, creative writing is so good that he should be reading it, then, ladies and gentlemen, if that is not a mark of quality, then I don't know what is. Thank you, mate. That's very nice of you to I very much enjoyed uh, writing it at the time. And the reason I brought it up was not to get that uh, scintilla of praise from Mr. B there, although it was nice to hear. Um, it was to mention the fact that I consider three things in a row. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not breaking new ground here. I've not come up with this idea. But I always consider 
the barbershop window between Ginetti and Sean, and then Sean and Jericho, with Jericho putting Sean's head through the Titantron, the Jericho-tron, Jericho-tron, uh, and then the Festival of Friendship, which we just talked about, to be three things that are very much uh, aligned to one another. So at some stage, in about five years' time, uh, Kevin Owens is going through some glass, and that will be the uh, the fourth point of that uh, The particular... The trilogy will become a quartet. But... Um, so I don't need to do, elaborate too much on my thoughts on uh, that particular incident because I did 1,500 words about it earlier in the year. Um, but it is the iconic breakup. When people talk about a tag team and how they went down the line, they talk about which one is the Shawn Michaels and which one is the Marty Jannetty. Um, there are many reasons for that, multifarious reasons, which are not just included by how successful they were in the wrestling ring, but how gaga they've gone over the, pre- the ensuing 30 years. But... You know, it's just there's absolutely no way round the fact that that is kind of the cornerstone for this this topic. I would have said, Paul, it's the measuring stick, um, and it's going to be the one that gets an enormous amount of votes. It's a lot of people's first choice. It's an iconic moment to me when we were thinking about this. There's two styles of tag team breakup. Really, there's the instant, out of nowhere, complete surprise shock breakup, and then there is the slow burner. Um, you know it's coming, you can feel the tension, the story mounts and the pressure mounts, and then boom, it happens. Similar to what's going on with Sasha and Bailey, or just as played out with Sasha and Bailey, which I'd like to talk about later. This is both. This one is both. They had a really great story for, you know, a matter of months. I don't quite know how long. It's hard to sort of quantify, but, you know, at least three or four months where they built the tension, built the tension, and they sort of split up in a in a soft way at Survivor Series, got back together, and then you got the surprise breakup, the heel turn, uh, the birth of a superstar, um, the, the birth of a measuring stick in Marta Giannetti. You know, there is a reason why, as you just said, tag teams are referred to as, you know, which one's going to be the Marta Giannetti of the pair. Um, I think it was absolutely phenomenal. It came right at the start of my wrestling fandom, and I think it's the same for a lot of people listening to this. It was so well executed. And, you know, as we've always spoken about in terms when we're talking about these historical moments and stories, it, 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 if a moment is great in and of itself, then fantastic. If a moment is great and also births greatness like this did, and all right, it didn't birth a great feud for, for various reasons. The feud was an absolute mess, but probably for the best in the long run. Um, what it did birth is an absolute megastar. Um, to say the least, in Shawn Michaels. You know, from day one of that heel turn, you, he was a full-on, proper, nasty, smarmy, cocky heel. Um, he was brilliant right off the bat. Um, and the moment itself was so... I, I didn't watch it. The first I saw it was Royal Rumble 92 when they were doing the, um, the recaps. I wasn't watching week to week by then, but it was so good. So good. Mate, if this isn't in the top five, then... I don't know what is really. It's it's got to be there. It's sensational. I think it should be, and I think that often we hold back one or two of these sort of uh, big ones to talk about to put them on the ankle legs. If you're doing the four by four hundred relay, you put your quickest one on last. Well, sometimes you put someone out really, really early to get yourself in good position. Because to me, this is what we're gonna. I think we're gonna talk about other ones, and we're gonna come back to this, and we're gonna say how does this compare with Sean and Marty? How does that compare with how they did it in the barbershop? How does this compare with how the Rockers did it? It's a very valid thing. So I think we need to put it in early. We need to go 
um, to this place as soon as we possibly can. And Paul is right in what he says about what it what it spawned. The feud itself becomes not a classic because it was so protracted. But actually, if you take it, if you take out the timeline and you ignore the fact that they split up, you know, in I think it was like I think it was December 1991 or something like that. And then they didn't have their first match together until January 1993. I think it was because, because of That's right, yeah. various reasons right. through firings and injuries and whatever. If you take out the gaps in between and you simply um, just put this, the events in order. It's it's actually really good because it's um, you know you've got the uh, you've got you know you've got the breakup you've got Marty coming out of nowhere um, you've got the you know because um, what we also should mention in that barbershop trilogy thing is that Sherry's head goes through some glass as well um, you know there's that yeah. that part yeah, yeah. Um, you know so there's that there's that part of it then you go forward to uh, Rumble 93 that goes away again. Marty comes back again in 93. The the surprise intercontinental change. So there's no absolute payoff, but there is still, you know, even like three or four years later, if they were both in the ring at the same time during the Rumble, you know, they'd be frantically head to head and, and whatever. So um, I think what did come after it was fine and was good. Obviously, it's a bit protracted, as we said. But the most important thing is really for everything is what comes next you know what if you're ever playing golf or something like that you say what's the big most important shot you're around well the answer is the next one because you can you can always play yourself into trouble or whatever and it's the same with wrestling the most important thing you'll ever do is the next thing you do because it leads to what comes down the line and it doesn't really matter in a tag team breakup if one of them disappears without trace because if you get a 50 percent hit rate out of a tag team and you make a star that's good enough yeah, that's true. And I often find that if you jump into this big mega feud right out of the right out of the um, the breakup, it hampers both guys. You know, often a clean break is is for the best. I think you know if you look forward to where where this where this feud should have gone. Obviously, Marty having the the big break after they broke up really helped, and him not coming back until what would it be maybe September, October, um, nineteen ninety two. That that was brilliant. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I think where it may, really fell down in the main was the fact that I, I think it's fairly well documented that the, the blow-off, the finale, should have been WrestleMania 9. Um, rather than Shawn Michaels' Tonker, it should have been Shawn Michaels' Marty Gennetti. And presumably Gennetti would have um, won the belt there. Where would that have left Shawn Michaels? Would it have left him you know, on the career path that he was on? Or would it have been a short speed bump? Who knows? Obviously, talent rises to the top and his talent couldn't have been denied, but it's a bit of a butterfly effect moment. It might just might not have been the same. And um, I think I think it was to Shawn Michaels' benefit that it didn't quite go according to plan. And of course, you know, for Marty, it didn't work out at all. But um, like you say, 50% hit rate ain't bad. It is. And just the last thing to mention on this, I think, is that when things did happen way down the line, you still didn't get the feeling that the, the the crowd had softened on it, did you? You didn't think the crowd were going, who's that guy? Oh, this happened ages ago. I don't care about this anymore. They go, wow, it's Marty. And like, it, it seemed to always have energy and heat and people wanted to see it. And it was, always. you don't ever think of a, excuse me, there's going to be other matches that we come to later on between teams that have broken up where you go, oh yeah, they had that match. Oh, I remember that yeah. match. It wasn't great. But you feel like everything that Marty and Sean did actually did mean something. And you're right. It probably was a blessing in disguise that first of all, Sean went away and beat Tito Santana at WrestleMania 8 and 
you know, and what and whatever else did those things in between to um you know, to build up his his own star before uh, getting into uh, to where he would get to eventually down the line. Um, okay, should we book that one in? I think it's going to be very, very, sure. very. If we come up with five better than that, you know, then uh, then this is the greatest poll of all time. Spoiler um, alert: We won't. Yeah, no, we won't. That's going to get in, folks. Paul can start tapping that into his, in his HTML code already. Um, I brought up the first one. Let's have one from you. Whether it's a, another scorcher to rival that one. Or it's simply one that you want to talk about. Up to you. Go where you wish. Well, you, you caught me on the hot there, mate. You don't normally start with such a with such a big favourite. So um, I think I'm going to simmer down a bit and go with one that's. Um, there's a few, right? When I was looking into this, there was a few that if we'd have sat down without the benefit of the internet or sort of research tools available with us to us, I might not have might not have popped into my head. Um, but I mean, look through a few sort of old tag team title reigns and things like that. There's, there's three or four that I just go, God, they were really good. And one I want to bring up in that regard is X-Pac and Kane. Okay. Right? I've got, that, so, I've got that down. I've got that down. So just to give people who are not intimately familiar with that story a bit of a run. So um, essentially at WrestleMania 15, X-Pac and Kane both got screwed over by China and Triple H in, in separate incidents. Um, Kane thought China was his girlfriend. X-Pac was Triple H's teammates, the remnants of DX. Both got screwed over and found themselves at a loose end. Kane was the unspeaking monster freak heel and X-Pac was the cool degenerate. And they formed an unlikely team to go up against their enemies. It led to that awesome moment, cheesy but awesome, where Kane got the voice box out, stuck it to his throat and suck it. Brilliant. Like, I hate that up. I hate that shit up, mate. 17-year-old me thought that was the coolest thing ever. Um, anyway, fast forward, DX reform as heels. So you've got X-Pac, friends with Kane, a face team, who's and then and then and then part of the DX, newly reformed heel DX. And X-Pac, obviously you knew it was coming, but X-Pac was swearing his allegiance to Kane, who had Tori as his girlfriend by then, and then Boom, out of nowhere, it turns out that X-Pac's been uh, flowering or deflowering Tory behind Kane's back, um, and the feud is on. Um, Paul, oh, that's, not, that's, that's, no, that's not quite the timeline. That's not quite the timeline. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. X-Pac turned on Kane, and there's an X-Pac-Kane feud going on for a good two or three months. All the while, Tory is still with Kane. And then they had a match. It was one of those ones if Kane loses, Tori has to spend time with X-Park. And then she mm. did. And she came back and Kane sees her and she was like, no, 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 he was a gentleman. He was really sound. He was a gentleman. And then she turns on Kane. I reckon it would have been two, at least two, maybe three months after oh, the break. Okay. It's, a long, it's a long way down the line. If you think about it, at the Royal Rumble 2000, uh, in which they were two of the last four or five in the ring, um, Tory walks to the ring with Kane in that, and X Buck and Kane are definitely at odds at that time. I want to oh, say that they enough. broke up. They broke up September, October, and then she turned on Kane in maybe late in January, early February. Right, that's probably why I was fudging the explanation. It didn't quite ring true in my head, so that that explains it definitely. But yeah, I thought this was brilliant. I thought it was a, a team that weren't together for a huge amount of time, but were beloved by fans. Really worked together as a as a as a great combo. 
Um, and then you really felt for Kane. Like, you know, it didn't really make either of them bigger stars as such, but it made them bigger, a bigger face and a bigger heel, respectively. You despised X-Pac coming out of that, and you felt so sorry for Kane. And that was so important for that character at the time. It's hard to remember a time when, you know, Kane is such a well-developed, well-worn character now. But this was when Kane had been nothing but the indestructible, non-speaking heel ever since his debut. So this was the first real personality. And it it really, really mattered that he'd, he'd developed this bond of friendship with X-Pac. So when that was destroyed by X-Pac being part of DX, it was it was a big thing. And um, and it was really well done. I like this yeah. a lot. No, I agree with you, actually. And it's it's not just the, the fact that the friendship, as you put it, um, it was a real sort of symbiotic relationship because Kane... Because X-Park was, was kind of in the land of the Giants. I forget exactly, but I want to say that Kane and X-Park wrestled against Undertaker and Big Show, I think. That's I think right, yeah. The whole thing about these monster Giants and X-Park wanted to show he could he could live with them. And Kane encouraged him because X-Park was down. I'm, I'm the weak link. I'm letting you down. And Kane said, no, you're not. And then, as you said, there was the um, Kane trying to be more of a human kind of thing. Not quite like the Reverend Slick taking Kamala bowling. This was a different kind of getting the human side out of someone. And... It, they were they were helping one another. The, each of them helped the other to progress in their life. And so, yeah, so when X-Pac turns on him, just so we can go off with his rowdy mates again, there's a sort of realistic, you know, feeling to that. You know, you can you can identify with something like that, or you'll have, you'll have heard someone that's had a similar sort of situation in life. Do you know what I mean? Maybe a bloke that, yeah. you know, leaves his girlfriend because he's going off on the, on the beer with his mates or something. It's, it's a little bit similar. Um, and then if later on down the line, that same fella manages to, you know, take someone off of, you know, it's it is well told. A lot of these these good stories tend to be because we recognise something of ourselves in them from whichever position. Um, and I would also say, if anyone said, "Oh, well, you weren't allowing Owens and Jericho being friends, but these two are friends, and you allow the breakup," I will say that these two regularly, over and over and over again, wrestled as a tag team. The whole point they won the was titles. how good they were tag team champions. How good they were as a tag tie, as a tag team was the point. Do you know what I mean? That was part of the point of the story, and and I think I think that's a a very specific difference in this case is they constantly teamed up, uh, and part of how they worked together was was the story. Um, and you mentioned the the voice box thing, the suck it thing. I might have this wrong. Correct me if I am wrong, folks. But I want to say the first time that Kane ever spoke, um, was when X Park had been beaten up. I forget by whom, but Kane did the microphone to the throat thing. And basically the mechanical voice somewhere said something like, you hurt Sean, you know, now I'm coming for you sort of thing. I'm going to kick your ass. There's a, it's a, it's something like that. But he called him Sean. I specifically remember that. that you I know, don't remember that at all. Yeah, it's definitely, it's out there somewhere. He, Kane definitely called him Sean. He said, you hurt Sean, you know, now I'm coming for you. Or something, something very brief. But it was so, you know, really realistic in this whole thing of, I'm not really into, oh, you know, sneakily using someone's real name. Like, Remember when Vince collapsed under that pile of stuff at the end of McMahon Mania and he called yeah, for Paul? Yeah. Well, I hate that because Triple H's name isn't Paul. Triple H's name is Hunter. The, the bloke that plays Triple <laughs> H is called Paul, but Triple H's real name is Hunter. Now, I think sometimes you accept that someone's name is not their name. Like, clearly, you know, the Repo Man is not called the Repo Man and the British Bulldog isn't called the British Bulldog. They have a real name. And sometimes you'd know it, Davy Boy Smith, and sometimes you don't, the Repo Man. But... 
do you see what I mean? In a character world, yeah. someone has to, so X Puck. That's clearly not his real name. So if Kane says Sean, I think that's quite good storytelling because you go beyond the the facade of what you know to the real human being. He just happens to be called Sean Mortman in real life as well. It's a nuance to be, but it's an important one. And I, I think this whole storyline took you somewhere before and after. I think all of these breakups only matter if what was building up to it mattered. And then it's a secondary thing, but no, not a lesser thing, if they can continue something afterwards. And I absolutely think that um, the actual breakup itself, in terms of the incident, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's bad, but it's very formulaic. You know, it's, it's two men have a tag team match. One betrays the other one and gets his mates to beat them up. It's, you know, we've seen that happen. That, that's not creative, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad. No, the what came before gave it the emotional resonance, let's say. They earned the breakup. They earned the feeling that the breakup, they didn't, you know, again, some of these we'll talk about on here needed a big moment and needed a big story to resonate. This had built up the cachet through the brilliant storytelling throughout the team, whereby the breakup didn't have to reinvent the wheel to be great. It just had to happen. Um, in a natural and organic way, and it did, and it hit home really well. Um, I think it was a good one. I don't think we should spend any more time talking about it because I honestly don't think it'll make the top five. It might, but it was superb. What we often talk about on these these lists is to get is to get a decent fifth placed um, example, and I feel like this. I would if we came up with a top five and this this snuck on as number five. I'd be more than happy for this to get on. I think it's a good example. I think it's really well crafted. I think it's a good angle. I think it's almost it's almost impossible to fault it. It's whether other things are more important or resonate more or were better done. So I would say if anything beats this, it gets onto the list or it's only, you know, leaks above it onto the list. I think this is almost like our benchmark. That's fine by me. Another point I want to make at this stage is that the two that we've talked about so far have been uh, babyface teams where someone turns heel essentially. And I think it's yeah. interesting to note that the, the, the nature of the tag team breakup is usually, not every time, but is usually a baby face team where someone breaks it up by turning heel or a heel team where someone breaks it up by turning baby face, you know, by finally seeing the light from stopping someone from um, being nefarious. I'll say one that I don't think, you know, will get any long-term, you know, chat because it was a short-lived team. They were kind of important for their stage, but they're not historically important one would go on to have a, a decent career afterwards. I'm saying something like the boss man and Akeem. You know, where right. the, the boss man sort of having this moment going, do you know, actually, no, no, I'm going to be a good guy for once. And that's kind of how that, how that happened. So I, I think they tend to fall into one of those two categories. And I think it'll be interesting. I don't know the answer to this, but I think it'd be interesting to see once we get to the end of the chat, what has been more successful in you know, the heel turn, breaking up a babyface team or, or the vice versa. Yeah, interesting point. Yeah, there was a few. I seem to remember back in the early nineties, there was a few of these sort of heel heels finding a moral compass type thing. Um, when Andre turned on, well, when Andre and Haku broke up, for instance, good that example. was a really good one. Actually, thinking about really? it, uh, that, was, that was a good breakup. I've not got that on my list, but that was uh, that was a corker. That's more a baby face turn than it is. It is a tag team breakup. I agree. It is a tag team breakup, but. It's more, it's more significant feeling like it's the Andre baby face because he more, he really turns on Heenan, you know, doesn't uh, he? He's, yeah, he sees the he light and turns on Heenan, and that facilitates the breakup of the team. 
look, it's it's it definitely would count by our criteria, but um, but yeah, you're right. He's turning on Heenan, and Heenan tended to overshadow most wrestlers he was with, probably with the exception of Andre, actually. Um, so everything everything sort of started and ended with him anyway. But right. ultimately, it was it was a tag team breakup on uh, the you know in front of a huge crowd. Great moment, you know, including a legendary name. Superb, brilliant example. Uh, when that kind of thing happens at the the top level, you know, I think that helps you make it more memorable. Um, you know, so we're talking about the Andre one. Uh, what about talking about another one that happened at the the, the biggest level, a WrestleMania thing? What about Strike Force? Um, can I be honest? I don't remember this one with any massive I, I mean I remember it a bit it was against the Brainbusters wasn't it uh, WrestleMania 5 uh, it's around about then I don't have the year written down it's yeah, about that. it was WrestleMania 5 um, yeah it was I mean it, they were they were a popular mid-card team who had a good breakup on a big stage but again it was formulate there weren't anything to write home about as a you know they were a very good team, but there was no story behind Strikeforce, was there? You never got emotionally invested in who Strikeforce were. They were just two young, good-looking baby faces that were good wrestlers, and they were a team. And then they broke up. One became a face, one became a heel, and they never really resolved it in any meaningful way. And neither of them became massive stars. They both became very dependable mid-card hands. And that is, you know, they're, they're the absolute definition of good hands in the mid card weren't they the pair of them yeah um i actually think rick martell is one of the great missed opportunities i think rick martell could have been huge um, i think you're right i, I think he had right. everything he had absolutely everything he was he had a great look um he okay he was french canadian so his voice wasn't perfect for an american north american audience uh, on the whole but he was a good talker he was able to portray um I think he had a great smile to be a good smiling baby face. And I think he had a good sneer to be a good heel. He was a good worker in the ring. He had character. He had timing. He had presence. Uh, there's very, very little to um, to put across against um, Rick Martel. And sometimes that's why we didn't have the X factor. I, thought, oh, I don't know. I think he was okay. I think oh, he was just never absolutely. put in. A, I just think he was never put in a position to be anything more than he was, which was a character mid-card heel, you know, as the model and a very over-the-top portrayal as was the style of the time i kind of feel like if rick martell had come along often we talk about oh imagine if this had happened in the old days how lucky someone would have been in in the old days i actually think if rick martell had come along 10 or 15 years later i think he'd have had a better career i think he'd have been a he'd have been a miz or someone do you know what i mean or dolph ziggler he could have been 10 15 years not at the top top level but he could have been someone you could have slotted in to a top match when you needed to i think he could have been around for a very long time rick martell yeah, you're absolutely right. You're not going to get any argument from me on any of that. What's important to remember with Rick Martel is that at his time, Rick Martel was considered quite a small guy. Mm. Um, you know, similar to Bret Hart, Tito Santana, they were all considered small guys. In the WWF. In the ring. In the WWF. You yeah. put them in the ring now in the WWE, and they'd be bigger than Seth Rollins. They'd be bigger than Kevin Owens. They'd be bigger than. Hell, to be as big as Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns isn't as big as you think, you know. Roman Reigns is not not a huge guy. No, he's not. To be fair, neither is Braun Strowman. You know, that is Braun Strowman in any other era in history would look, he's a big, don't get me wrong, he's a big dude. 
But in current WWE, he looks like a giant, doesn't he? And he's not. I've stood next to Braun Strowman. He's bigger than me, but he's not significantly bigger than me. He's not the he's Undertaker. In an, in an yeah, in an era where like you know the Berserker or someone like that, he'd have been, it didn't feel like an absolute right. sort of yeah, the absolutely or, right. He yeah. looked up to the Berserker, um, and I think he probably would. It would have been at least eye to eye. Uh, it would have been at best eye to eye with the Warlord. They were just bigger back then, you know. And there's all sorts of reasons why. Yeah, he feels bigger than that. To be fair, maybe that's a, a good job of theirs from from building him that way and making him look that way. Maybe wears some big boots or, or whatever, because it can work the opposite. Because I'm always amazed when people talk about the fact that Billy Gunn is like six six. Yeah, Billy Gunn's taller like, than Hulk Hogan. I never think about Billy Gunn as being a big guy. Actually, Drew yeah. McIntyre is a bit like that. I feel like Drew McIntyre, today's WWE champion, Drew McIntyre, in my head is about four inches taller than the chosen one, Drew McIntyre. And now I know that they won't be, I know they won't be any different. He didn't do any growing between the ages of like 26 and 33 or whatever he is now. He's a bit younger than that, actually, I think. But, you know, it just feels like the way that someone can carry themselves and the way that someone can be portrayed. I never, ever thought of Drew as a big guy until I saw him in TNA. And I thought, actually, yeah, he's massive. Yep, you're 100% right. And with Drew McIntyre, it's all about projection. There's been nobody who's transformed themselves by leaving WWE and coming back better, in my opinion, history, than Drew McIntyre. Um, all right, I'm lying. Hulk Hogan being the obvious one. But I'm talking in, in the Premier League era, Rob. In the Premier <laughs> League era. Um, there's, been, there's been no one who's done it so successfully. You know, you're right, I didn't see anything in Drew McIntyre. He was uh, fairly skinny, fairly average. Yeah, nothing heel. He left WWE, and within weeks, I was like, oh, I was bang wrong about this one. And he got better and better and better. And then when he came back to NXT, I was just in love. I thought he was fantastic. A wonderful, wonderful, wonderful old-school traditional pro wrestler. And now look at him. In my eyes, in my perception, he is the totem pole of the WWE. He has everything. Like you say, he has the he has the size, but as you quite rightly say, he's now learned how to act bigger than he is. He's six six, I think. In that in that ballpark, anyway, somewhere between six four and six six. He certainly looks down significantly on me. Um but he he gives off the aura that he's much bigger. He's got every single quality you need to be one of the biggest stars ever. I am so high on Drew McIntyre in every single way. And I think think that the WWE agree and I think he's going to be given that push for a good I don't think it's a push there's a difference between a push and anointing someone a star he is a star it's not a push anymore it's he is the biggest star on Raw simple as so are we doing uh the 3MB breakup is that one of our tag team <laughs> didn't really happen did it not really. I just, I'm aware. And by the way, I'm not criticizing Paul for this listener before you think that's the road I'm going down. But uh, we do often say we must watch our tangents tonight. And then I, yeah, thought we'd have I, was a 40, I thought we'd have a 45 second chat about Strike Force. And I started waffling about Martel. And then we got on to Strowman. And then we got on to Billy Gunn. And then we got on to Drew McIntyre, all from uh, what was meant to be about a minute's worth of chat about uh, Strike Force. Going back to that and, and wrapping it up, what I kind of think is that. There was no real strike force. Were just two blokes, two smiley baby faces who dressed relatively the same. Nothing for them, so we'll team them for a year or two, and then we'll want to do something different with them. So we'll have one walk out on the other. I actually, I only feel it got over in any significant way because it happened at WrestleMania. 
if it had happened yeah, on yeah. an episode of Wrestling Challenge and then everyone had moved on, you'd have barely, it'd have been like the primetime players. Do you know what I mean? It would have just been a, been a, a footnote. But as it was, it was, you know, it happened at Mania and it was something that, I, again, I, that's another one I always remember that, you know, if one of them ran into a, a rumble when the other one was in, you know, you'd have, you know, Tito would run, run in and go, oh, he'll go straight for Martel. And it was like, it was, they seemed to be feuding for like two or three years on television without yeah. actually having yeah, regular yeah. matches or angles. It was just, they always hated each other and their identifying feature was hating the other one as opposed to, <laughs> well, not, in, all, in all fairness, I often, I often say, and I say this with great love to our, we've got many um, viewers from various different parts of the world and indeed parts of Great Britain. But I often say that in Scotland and Wales in particular, I feel that part of their national characteristic is hating the English. And I wish they would be more proud of who they are sometimes because they're both really great people from really cool countries and they spend too much time worrying about us than, than bigging up themselves. And I feel that that's a similar sort of thing. You can end up being like that as a character in wrestling, getting defi defined by who you hate as opposed to getting defined by who you are. That Again, Tangent City. Um, but uh, let's uh, move on to... Uh, another one then and um, let's do a lot let's let's move away from wwf for the time being um let's move into a team that were together for a very 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 long time the kind of one you never really saw a, a breakup coming the steiner brothers the steiner brothers okay i knew we were gonna go here and in fact it is on my list um probably the most disappointing breakup of all time you think yeah, I was not a fan. I think because it happened, it was, or because of how it happened. Uh, because of how it happened, I it felt so choreographed. I remember this distinctly. It felt so choreographed, so manufactured to the point of Scott Steiner even changed his look to look like a heel just before it happened. He might as well have yeah, brought before. a big sign down to the ring saying, "I'm going to turn heel soon." It was so choreographed and so obvious, and. Um, and everyone who turned here, it was such a cliche at the time. Everyone who turned here just turned into NWO. Um, it was boring. It was boring and it felt needless. And the other factor in it is that the Steiner brothers being part of the vanguard against the NWO long term would have been much more interesting. Um, and that was taken away. And you've got a, yet another sort of subview between the WCW, um, NWO, and the fact that. Scott Steiner took a long while to find his feet and it didn't really feel like there was anything meaningful came out of it. I just thought, it, no, for me, it was a big miss. I often think about, this is going to talk about tangents, but there is somewhere I'm going with this. I'm a big horse racing fan, uh, particularly national hunt racing. And for those people that don't follow racing, you, you, you tend to get horses that, that run over hurdles, which are smaller obstacles, and then they progress to running over uh chase fences as they call them the, the bigger fences you see in things like the, the gold cup or the grand national um and it tends to be a progression you tend to be a hurdler and then you learn your trade for a couple of years and then you step up to the bigger obstacles if you're not very good over the bigger ones you can always drop back and be a hurdler again and i feel like sometimes this happens with a tag team they go well, well, well the hurdles is the tag team and then the chase fences is to split them up and if it doesn't work we can always team them again and i sort of think actually that doesn't always work because you've always you've broken them up now and now you've got to put them back together for some reason. Sometimes they're so beloved, you can just get away with doing it. Well, we'll forget that the Rock and Roll Express broke up for a bit in 1988 or whenever it was. Or, you know, there's mm. certain teams will just forget that they had a little breakup in that company because we'll put them together when they're over here. Like, 
you know, Team 3D broke up in TNA, but they're back together when they're in the WWE. There's certain things that you can get away with doing, and um, yes. that, that, that's the case. But it, but sometimes it's irreparably damaged, and I, I kind of feel like the Steiner brothers would have been, if they were a horse, they were the kind of horse that were so good over hurdles, they should have just left them over hurdles. And it's like, they didn't. that doesn't mean that you don't have to uh, have short, Scott Steiner do his own thing, but I think it would have been better if Rick Steiner had blessed him you know, becoming a, a a single star rather than them breaking up in the way they did, because it always felt like when you because they did go back to it, and there have been teams in a team up in other companies. But now I always I now think of Scott Steiner as a singles guy and Rick Steiner as the other guy, which is not fair. Uh, yeah, well, it's a very interesting comparison comparing them to racehorses, but I get your point completely, and I think you're absolutely right. It's a bit. Um, bit tortured but there's certainly times where you go what you're so talented in one sphere why go to another one but at least in horse racing you don't actually lose anything from just just dropping back to hurdles again yeah i'm uh yeah no i I don't think we should even have this anywhere close to the list frankly no agreed but it was mentioned by a couple of people so i wanted to bring it up because uh you know it was something that um that was that was brought up um and but it also leads on to another um, another area really which is I've got quite a lot of tag teams written down uh, which I feel are some of the greatest tag teams of all time some of the most talked about some of the most successful um, but to me precious few of them have had anything like a, a good breakup and again I do find that we, we're talking several things we're talking about their history leading into the breakup the breakup itself and what comes after and what comes after includes teaming back up again and it almost feels to me correct me if i'm wrong here but can you be a team that had a great breakup that is worthy of our list but still be able to get back together again later do you know what i mean by that is it is it is it 100 you can or you can't 100 percent, you can as long as a story facilitates it if you have a great breakup and then just get back together for no reason six months later then clearly that pisses all over the breakup but if it's done the right way with the right sort of believability factor, look at a good example. And I know it wasn't a long-term get back together, but look at the Rockers. You know, the Rockers got back together in 2005. Yeah, 2005, well, yeah, early 2005. Sort of, but that's that's a bit different though, isn't it? That's a, that was for like a couple, of, a couple of shows just to facilitate something. That's That's not really getting back together, is it? Well, what example would you give of one that really got back together? Well, I'm not sure. No, I'm not really sure I have one. That's the point, is that I always feel that once you've broken up, I feel like it's it's largely tainted. Is That's kind of my point. Although what I'm saying is that maybe the ones that have got back together again and still been a great team are able to do it because the breakup wasn't as good, if you see what I'm saying. So I'm saying someone mm. like the Hardys. Like, I don't care yeah. what anyone says about the Hardys. They're still, but they've always been better as a, as a unit. Um, yeah, Jeff has, all, Jeff has always been the one that I would rather watch on his own in my mind, but I think they've always had this issue where Matt's the one that cares the most, but he's actually the slightly less talented of the two, or, or, or certainly the one that's less um, draw, people are drawn to. Um, but I've always felt that however you, you strip the Hardys down, they're better as a unit. But I think it's partly because they've had two or three breakups and it's never been any good. Because partly because I don't think people want them to break up, and partly because the script has been not great. You could argue that actually the map turns on Jeff Angle from when would it have been? Two thousand and nine or so, 
Um, was yeah. it the Rumble 2009? Yeah, because it built into WrestleMania 25. That that actual, right, yeah. ang- actual angle building into Jeff having some, you know, some issues, which I think wasn't it rumored to be Christian. It was rumored that it was going to be Christian's return, yeah. and actually right. end up in Matt Hardy. And some some suggest it was they changed the booking because it got out, and others say no, it was always going to be Matt. Um, but whatever. That's actually not a terrible angle in terms of the way they broke up. But I just feel like it built to nothing. The match at WrestleMania wasn't very good. Um, and I just think people didn't want to see that. People weren't interested in... I don't, they were like, I don't want to watch these guys feuding. And I also, think they're, they're an example of... And then when they get back together years later, it doesn't hinder them that they've been broken up. But it would have hindered them if their breakup would have been so monumental that, you know, that, that that's what you remember. Ultimately, you don't really remember the breakup because it wasn't up to much. Also, critically, um, they weren't technically a tag team when they broke up. No, no, I suppose you're right, but you're you're still talking. It's still one turning on the other, and it's like because if the if if they hadn't have broken up, and then the week after the rumble they'd have gone, you know, the Hardys are taking on the world champions next week. No one would have gone, but they're not a team. You know, they you know they they had enough money in the bank. You know, pardon the expression. um, You know, for for, to, to cash that in. I'm definitely splitting hairs. I agree. Yeah, you are. Um. But there are others, you know. The Dudley Boys have broken up, but you just—it doesn't come into the equation for me. Uh, yeah, the Dudley Boys. No, um, the Dudley Boys just broke up, didn't they? They got broken up by the draft, and that they was... did. But they, but they broke. But they they broke up as a team in TNA as well. Um, they don't really remember that, if I'm honest. And it, you, know, so, you know, things have happened along those lines. And I mentioned it before. You know, the. Um, the Rock and Roll Express, arguably one. If we if we were doing greatest ever tag team, we'd probably be talking about the Rock and Roll Express as being one of the, the in the conversation. But you know, didn't they break up because um, Robert Gibson joined bloody Alexandra York? That's or, the one. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, crikey, no one cares about that now, do they? And it's do you know <laughs> what I mean? So it's, like, it's such an it's such a nothing breakup. You sort of go, well, put them back together, and no one will worry about that. Um. So there's there's to me a, a lot of the the great teams. You know, um, they haven't really had that that big moment, and the Steiners would be included. Indeed, also the Legion of Doom, unquestionably, unquestionably part of that. I agree. Um, I didn't think much to Edge and Christian's breakup either, if if I'm honest. Well, okay, that's that's a good one to go to next. Briefly, we'll touch on on LOD. Only again, only because a couple of people have mentioned it. I'm just having a look. Uh, Matt Lambert has questioned, said, "What about Hawk being thrown from the Titan Tron?" I'm sure there was someone else. I'm trying to go through all the comments and I can't find it. I'm sure someone else mentioned about LOD. I can't find it right now. Um, it was awful. It was te- really terrible. It was awful. Again, I, just, it was... I just don't think anyone ever wanted to see it. It's a little bit like, it's not quite the same as music. We've done it a couple of times, compared it to music, but it's like, you know, it might be nice to see, you know, um, BDI or um, high flying birds or whatever. But ultimately, if you're an Oasis fan, you want Oasis, don't you? You're not, really, you're not really a Noel or a Liam fan. I'm sure you can pick one or the other. And I'm, I like Oasis. I'm not a mega fan, but I, I like them. And people who are, are huge Oasis fans are t- probably telling me I'm an idiot because they're clearly a, a Noel or a Liam, Liam man. But to me, if you're an Oasis fan, you want to see Oasis together. If they do their own projects, fine. But you don't want them to break up. You actually do. You want the babyface tearful reunion, don't you? You want them to put let bygones be bygones and go and do a stadium tour because that's you know that's the 
that's the point, isn't it? And I think if you love a great rock rock band or you know any kind of musical act, if they're more than one person, you don't really want them to to split up acrimoniously, even though sometimes you know it, it's it's a necessary part of it. And I think LOD just feel like one of those teams that you associate one with the other. Now we have talked on this program before about the fact that we just said about Rick Martel being a missed opportunity. Babyface Hawk world champion hawk is probably a massively missed opportunity if the man's head was straight you know through his career and if they'd have just gradually broke the team up you know hawk could have been an all-time great on his own um and that never yep. happened but ultimately people did it, they were together so long people just didn't need to see that breakup no they didn't need to that's the thing they would have needed to do quite a lot with hawk to get him away from the lod thing completely he had all the tools he was a wonderful pro wrestler in every in every stretch but he got in his own way as, uh, as so many of the greats like to say, I think is it is it Jim Ross who says that quite regularly. I'm not quite sure, but I've um, heard it before. Yeah, uh, but it, it never really transpired, and that breakup was just dross, absolute dross. Might as well have thrown Rocco in there for all the good it did. <laughs> okay, let's do Edge and Christian then, um, because I do think that's yep. an interesting one. Um, I feel like. A couple of weeks ago, we did a, we did a topic and we talked about um, a match between I think it was Finn Balor and Seth Rollins, and I talked yeah. about how there was absolute you couldn't pick fault in it. You know, it was perfectly executed by two absolute superstars, and you couldn't pick fault in it. But you did go. I anyway said I just didn't love it. That for whatever reason, yeah. I, I didn't fall in love with it. I couldn't love it. It didn't have that intangible that makes you fall in love with something. And I think Edge and Christian's breakup kind of fits here because actually, if you start breaking this down, well, they're one of the greatest tag teams of all time. They were a fantastic tag team unit as a story and indeed their matches. They teased the breakup. They sort of got back together again. Then it kind of came out of nowhere. It was a very vicious beatdown. And then they split their own way. And Christian had his own you know, cocky character with his own entrance at last year on your own. And Edge yeah. had the, you know, the more upbeat thing and got pushed to the top. Actually, there's nothing to fault. It's worked from the start to the finish perfectly. But I don't yeah. love it. I don't find it memorable. And I didn't yeah. – when I, when I was thinking Edge and Christian, I had to go back and research. How did they break up again? I had to go and look at it. I had to find it. I couldn't go, ah, yes, barbershop window. It didn't have that moment. And I think in terms of this particular podcast – I'm not sure if the, the breakup moment is good enough. I think you sometimes need that moment. And I'm before and after is fine, but was the angle in the middle good enough? I talked earlier about, you know, have, is it the slow burn or is it the, the, the moment of uh, surprise and the best breakups have both? This, this kind of fell between two stools. It was, it was kind of neither, but it was kind of both at the same time. You could feel it coming, Christian getting jealous, doing the little things, blah, 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 very on, on rails. But the problem is, as with a lot of things that year, it got swallowed up by the invasion. And very literally, immediately after um, breaking up, Christian joined the alliance. So it suddenly became less about Edge versus Christian to break up and more about Christian turning on uh, WWF and becoming a, an alliance guy. So it took the focus away immediately um and also yeah the match they had was it i think it was a ladder match wasn't it um for the belt not long after wasn't any cop um 
they were both better at certainly in the very early stages it felt like you were splitting up a great team before its time and neither of the guys immediately excelled as singles and um, to um to justify that and it wasn't really until edge went to smackdown and the whole smackdown six thing then sort of got injured came back and then quite quickly became a heel that he really made something for himself whereas christian plodded along as a very good hand i'll use that term again um in the same sort of spot on the card with various people as his foil for a while and did really good work but nothing that you know moved the needle and then 2011 came and he went into the stratosphere for a short time um but ultimately it just didn't feel like it mattered that much it felt like it was just a small cog in a bigger story and it probably did it did it a disservice because like you said it was there's nothing wrong with it it just didn't feel like it mattered yeah it's funny how in the in the significance of tag team history edge and christian are you know where my hand is beyond the screen and x Pac and kane are you know down below my chest level but actually yeah. my instinct in this particular discussion is to say that X-Pac and Kane is a is a better breakup. Definitely, I come. I don't. I don't think it's even close. And it's, and I find it hard to quantify. And if someone was to challenge me on it, and they have their own good argument for why Edge and Christian should be on there, I don't think I'd be able to fight them because I I, I don't have enough points to say. Well, this is why you're wrong. I simply don't feel it. And I, I think it's this is this goes on field. This is a complete intangible. And again, I'm going to do one more time on music. But there is no way of saying that, you know, so-and-so is a better singer than someone else. You know, there's no measure for who is a better singer. It's just you happen to like it more than something else. And I feel it's all, or one, you know, what's a nicer food than another food? There, there is no scale. Yeah. It's just what you happen to, you can't help but say, well, you know, you can talk about lamb all you like, but I'd still rather have a piece of chicken. It's just, it's, it's just yeah. the way it goes. Um, right. In that sort of era, there were lots of, you know, teams, you know, that we've already t- discussed. We've already discussed a little bit of Dudleys and Hardys and Edge and Christian and, uh, and various others around there. Um, I'm going to bring up one that I know you want to talk about. Let's talk about the APA. Let's. Oh, I'll, 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 preface, I'll preface this by saying this is very much Paul's choice, although I'm not anti it. Um, I know Paul wants to talk about it. I will just say my bit first of all is that we, we have talked very much so far about a, a one slash two dimensional breakup. Team has difficulties. One fights the other one. They have a match. They go their separate ways. This is a bit different. Yes, it is. And again, talking about columns on Hooked on Wrestling, and this is not deliberate. But one of my other favourite columns that we've got on the site is by uh, Liam Happ, who did a fantastic column based on this exact breakup if you cast your mind back to um 2004 the acolytes had split up in a draft um, and come back together as a lot of teams did the dudley boys did the same thing didn't they um and did precisely bugger all for a couple of years they just sat on raw or smackdown um did what they needed to do fill the place on the car and did it did and did very very little paul Heyman comes in one day and is antagonized by Farouk. So he suddenly turns around and says, right, if you lose your next match, a title match, then I'm going to fire you. The match happens. For life, me can't remember the opponents. doesn't matter. Um, and they lose. So they're fired. So they go to pack their bags. They go to leave the arena and you know, talk about how it's been a good run and everything. And suddenly, Paul Heyman turns around and goes, 
where are you going, Bradshaw? I didn't say I was going to fire the APA. I said I was firing him. Now, Ron Sim, these guys have been thick as thieves for, what, six years at this point? Best friends, absolutely as tight as you get on the roster. And Ron Simmons just sort of like scoffs, doesn't even let the idea sink in that there is going to be, you know, that's going to make any difference at all and just tells Paul Heyman to go screw himself and says, come on, Bradshaw. And there's just a moment, just a moment where Bradshaw just hesitates, has some doubt, let some maybe feelings that have been bubbling below the surface creep out. Just, just, and all it takes is one second. And Ron Simmons utters those immortal words. He looks at him. He doesn't try to hit him. He just sinks within himself and says, well, I'll be damned. And at that moment, with a look, without even a single word, without action, Bradshaw betrayed six years of firm friendship just by even giving the impression that he wasn't going to stand by his partner, come on, man. And that was it then for, for those two. That All it took was that little bit of doubt. And Ron Simmons was done. He would never trust him again. Um, and Bradshaw tried to plead. And then he became this sort of whiny character almost immediately, but a whiny character with a purpose and doing it for the right reasons. And Ron Simmons obviously clearly didn't want to know. He saw immediately in that moment Bradshaw for what he was. And then we go to the races with JBL the very next week. And he's let off the leash to be the narcissistic, self-centered heel that he was becoming off screen anyway with his Fox News program and his growing reputation as a as a financial analyst and trader. It was there was there's never been, in my opinion, there's never been so much done with so little in WWE history. That tag team broke up super effectively with a moment of hesitation. Nothing else. Masterfully done. Absolutely masterfully done. It spoke everything for their relationship that, you know, that built up over the years. And we'd, you know, we as viewers had been conditioned to understand those characters out. And that break broker was wholly realistic based on those reactions. I thought it was absolutely sensational. Now I'm not keen. Uh, Hype brothers. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's a, a very good, um, a very good summary, and I, I love stuff that's different. I love stuff that's not just let's just put it into the, you know, the Play-Doh machine and, and and churn out the little, the bits that we're used to doing. I love it when someone will handcraft, and that's what feels like happened here. It's interesting. A couple of the people that are involved, isn't it? you feel like Bradshaw might have had something to do with that. You feel like Paul Heyman might have had something to do with that. I don't know who the head writers were on, on SmackDown at the time. I want to say maybe, uh, maybe Lagana's in, in the, in the writing team around then, but maybe, maybe you feel, you feel like there'll be people that have, have crafted that and not just gone. Vince wants Bradshaw as the star. So we'll break them up and we'll, and we'll change his character next week. If that had been a tag match where, you know, the loser, has to retire or whatever and Bradshaw turned on him or whatever you you wouldn't be having that impassioned you know explanation even if the same character had gone on to do the same things and be as successful but the fact that you're you know you're you know you, you clearly remember that moment and remember that particular 
piece of subtlety, because we don't use that word all that often with WWE, but that subtlety um, of, of that moment and, and how it and how it went. And again, it, and it, it's what it means to the characters and what it's perceived to mean to the characters. And a lot of the good heel turn tag teams, you know, are the ones that are going after that little bit of, they're, they're almost grasping that inner sense that perhaps we all have, perhaps I'm being unfair to some people, but, you know, do we want that bit of glory? If someone said to you right now, you know, that the company that you work for, and I know you, you enjoy where you work and you work very hard and whatever, but if someone said to you that you, Paul, on your own could go and be a millionaire within six months, but it means that everyone else that you work with, you know, having to, you know, go to a, a you know, a very, very poor paying job. Do you take it? Do you go off on your own and be successful on your own and drop them in it? And I'm not saying you would or you wouldn't. I'm not expecting you to answer there, that question. But you think about there's it. There's a nod. You'd think exactly. about it. And some people would go, no, no, absolutely not. I'd never let anyone down. And then you go, what about five million? And then you go, oh, fucking hell. And it's like, there yeah. is, everyone's going to break it. Everybody has a price for the million dollar man. It's true. We all have a point. We all have a point where we would think about it. The whole COVID-19 thing. It's, a, it's deeply sad, everything that's going on. But would you be happy for the death rate to multiply by 10 if it meant that you and your family and all everyone that you loved and liked was okay? I think you probably would. And it's mm-hmm. it's all about, I mean, it does that make us baby faces or heels? I don't know. But I think it's, again, we're tapping into, you know, real-life character things. Because the point is with tag teams, if a, a character turns heel, if a character changes their raison d'etre or their gimmick or whatever that's one thing but when a tag team breaks up it's a it's a it's a human relationship and there's a reason yep. for that we whoever we are we don't have to have ever laced up the boots you know or even participated in competitive sport we all understand what it's like to have a human relationship whether it's family or friends or, or you know marriage or whatever it might be we understand and we've all had someone let us down and I don't yep. care who you are, everyone's had someone let you down. And actually, you probably, if you go into your subconscious and think about it, you probably know that sometime in your life you let someone down and you feel bad about it. Yep. And all these things, you know, come out. I feel like I'm getting a bit deep here, but it's, I think it's important but to understand. What what one of the, it is what one of the, it's what this podcast is as well, but it is what one of this angle, what this angle does for you. And I think we then have to look at what then comes of it as well, is that this is not a really cool angle that they had two matches the following two weeks and then were forgotten about. And then they were back to being whoever they were. Again, I've had a one dig at them already, but you know, this is not the prime time players. You know, this is not a, a tag team breaking sure. up and then they're immediately back to where they were. John Bradshaw Layfield is one of the greatest creations of let's call it the noughties. Um, it's just an absolutely amazing creation. And it didn't, if we'd have seen it from the ground up with a new guy, that'd have been one thing, but to take a character that had been, you know, the APA was fine and Justin Hawk Bradshaw didn't really work and, you know, whatever was going around, but he'd been around quite a long time, you know, seven, yeah. eight years in the company. And then suddenly JBL uh, came yeah. along well, nine, now, nine years. right now, right now, all you think of him is, is as JBL, isn't it? He is JBL. Correct. If he walks down the street and you see him, there's JBL. If he makes an appearance, if he goes in the hall of fame, it's JBL. And he was JBL as an active wrestler for what? Two years, three years. In that, in that range, yeah. Now, all right, he's been a commentator for much longer, so it's not a necessarily a fair comparison. But, you know, this guy had a long, much longer career than just being JBL, but it's, it's absolutely all he's identified by. So another excellent reason for the breakup. And Simmons is at a point in his career there where he can absolutely I mean, be the poor guy. 
He retired. That's why they broke up. That is mm. why they broke up. It was his. He wanted to retire, and they broke that team up without exchanging a single blow. You touched on it earlier. If Bradshaw had turned around and beaten the ever living shit, if if Ron Simmons had taken the fall in that tag team title match and Bradshaw had blamed him and beaten the crap out of him, it wouldn't have had one ounce of the significance and the resonance that what they did had. Wouldn't have lived long in the memory and it wouldn't have birthed the character that JBL came because that's the point. That selfishness and that, you know, that, that sort of putting oneself first rather than being some big dominant evil guy, just the idea of putting oneself first is what was the acorn of the JBL character. Um, having that character start with a vicious beatdown would have been completely anti what that character was. It was perfect. I don't say that very often. It was perfect. And I've got a problem so, with it, though. I've got a problem okay. with it. When we put these um, shows together and put our polls up, we often get about one-third more people answering the poll and we do listen to the podcast and i suspect that's because some people just find it you know in the course of being on the website and just answer the poll not really knowing the background behind it if you just put five um tag teams on this poll you didn't listen to the explanation you didn't think about you know the, the gravity behind it ap aren't getting any i'm getting a single vote i don't think i want i w- adamantly want to put this on the five but i don't think it'll come close to winning and that's wrong well, okay, I, I understand what you're saying with that, but we've had a couple of very big surprise winners. Right, the last mm. couple of weeks have been, you know, massive a massive win for Bedpan McMahon, a massive win for Hogan as the face of, of Nitro. You know, yeah. but we did who's the greatest, you know, tag team competitor, and me and you had a long protracted discussion on the podcast about um, Kofi Kingston and Arn Anderson. Yeah, and I couldn't believe that anyone would go for Kofi over on. I was so angry that I went to Twitter and did a little mini poll, and Kofi won by about two thirds to a third. And I was absolutely mesmerised by this. Couldn't believe that that would happen, and I thought it was recency bias. We then put the poll up, and Terry Gordy won it. Yeah, yeah. You know, thank you to everyone that did that from the bottom of my heart. And at around a similar sort of time, when we did the best you know, uh, manager and wrestler combination. You know, I was I was expecting, you know, the likes of Macho Man and Liz or Undertaker and Paul Bearer to walk it. And the winners were the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. So I, I think, A, sometimes people do listen to the impassioned pleas on here. And if enough of them change their mind and vote, then that will happen. And sometimes maybe we shouldn't underestimate the intelligence of our listeners that go a long way back and will look a little bit deeper into things. So you never know. I Generally speaking, I agree with you because what we've got to come here is we've got a couple of big heavy hitters. We've put one in already. We've got at least three that I think are going to be, you know, pushing for this, you know, list of five. In fact, I think I know what the five is going to be because I think we've got two quite strong ones already. And I think we've got three that are going to, you know, push their way in, but that, we will see. Um, but, you know, don't underestimate people. We'll see. I think, but I think the very least we can do is to put it uh, in the conversation for the five, uh, and at this moment in time, unless we come up with four or five better, um, I'm not going to be fighting you too uh, too strenuously at this moment. Um, I want to do one one more, which is a slightly different sort of breakup, and I don't think for a second it's going to uh, challenge for a five. I just want to mention it because I like it when someone does something different, and you don't have to break a team up by going 
one goes face and one goes heel, then they wrestle for three months, do it on the house show loop, and then go on their own separate way. There are other ways to do it. And I'll mention the rock and sock connection. I am so pleased. They were my next go-to as well. Okay. Um, I don't think the breakup angle is particularly amazing because, in essence, it's really Mick Foley finding a, his book in the trash. You oh, know, and then, yeah. and then and part of that is it's, it was to do with Al Snow and whatever. I'm not sure that's the strongest piece of storytelling I've ever seen. But what I'm saying is that the subtleties of the reason that they got together, the reason that they've drifted apart, but ultimately ended up coming back together again at a couple of different points. And also when you read about what might have happened but got nixed, I think the Rock and, Stock, Rock and Sock story is a very, very interesting one. And I like the fact that they broke up, but they didn't have to fight about it. Do you see what I mean? Mate, saying they broke up over a book being put in the rubbish is like saying Romeo and Juliet was about two horny teenagers who wanted to have sex. But that's true. It is true. It is it's, true, technically. It is not saying what it's all about, but it is true. It is true. Technically, but it does it such a disservice. No, I agree. You know, it was it uh, it was like you said. The the again, we talked about it earlier. But this, there's very few teams that had that emotional resonance. You know, obviously, all they went through in late ninety eight, ninety nine, early ninety nine as opponents, and then to come together with a common enemy, and it was so good as well because it was so realistic. The Rock was still this cool guy who didn't want to hang around with his weird freak ball thing, but grew to love him and grew to, well, grew to tolerate him first and then grew to really genuinely care for him um, in the face of adversity. And then their breakup came as a result of a misunderstanding, a manipulated misunderstanding. And Mick Foley's feelings got genuinely hurt. Well, I'm sure I said mankind's feelings got genuinely hurt because he perceived his best friend of having slighted him, whereas it was nothing of the sort. And um, it was like it was Romeo and Juliet is a really good example, actually. It's very similar to the to the final scene of Romeo and Juliet with the um, with the perceived suicide and you know how one kills themselves because he thinks the others kill themselves, and then the other one wakes up. Um, because and then realize the other one really has killed themselves, and they do kill themselves. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't read it now, it's a few years old, my friend. It's only been out um, for 500 years. Some people might not have read it yet. <laughs> yeah, it was on at 4am on the East Coast. So, uh, yeah. Um, I, think it was, I think it was absolutely wonderful. And like you say, because it ended in that crushing disappointment rather than a physical angle, it, it made you feel something. It felt a human emotion and you could relate to the characters. You know, you might have been on what you might have been able to relate to the rock. You might have been able to relate to mankind. You might have been able to relate to both, but it was, it was real. It was real and it was well-crafted and you felt deeply for the two people involved. Um, I just thought it was stunning, mate. Absolutely stunningly done. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, just wishing they could get back on the same page. And bloody Al Snow got right in there, didn't he? When you tuned into this viewer, listener, and we were said we were going to talk about tag teams, did you anticipate that I would uh, do an allegory of tag teams breaking up to uh, horse racing? 
and that Paul would do Romeo and Juliet. You get a little bit more than what you pay for on this particular podcast. <laughs> we do have There's the ability re- to change gears and go in different ways. And there's the idea that the angle between The Rock and Mick Foley is related to Romeo and Juliet, but Paul's managed to do it. The tragic thing is that it did mean that um, that Christopher Marlowe rushed into the booking of Dr. Faustus and could have got 100 more pages out of it, but he went to the end and uh, he, he gave away his soul too early. But that's the way it goes uh, in the uh, in the in the in the quill writing war of the early 16th century. Um, but um, you know, that's going to look, that's going to put a lot of, uh, um, Oh, I couldn't think of one. I thought I was going to do it as I went through. Um, pretty tell that'll put some butts in some seats in the globe. <laughs> um, anyway, back to where we are. Yes. Yeah, so is this going to be a contender? I mean, it's a fun little story. Obviously the team between the two of them were, they're two massive stars. What's clearly happened here is that someone said, well, we're fed up. We don't, we want to do their own thing. We want to do their own thing as singles, but we also want to continue with them as baby faces. This is the way, this is the way we'll break the team up. It isn't a memorable enough breakup rather than just a gradual drifting apart that is facilitated by the fact that the book is in the bin. Do you see what I'm saying by that? I don't, I don't know the answer myself, but in a similar way to you, saying about the APA, people are going to go read about the APA, are people going to go the Rock and Sock didn't really break up, did they? They just didn't wrestle, they didn't team anymore. Well look, we, we would never I think people use that, would... I, I did mention the APA, but we can't use that as a criteria, can we? Um, no, well, I'm not opinion, but I'm saying, it's, it's a similar sort of it's a similar sort of question, is what I'm saying, is that it is. will people say break up equals fight? You know, as, as opposed to you know, break up sometimes means you go my way and I'll go yours. I just, you go your way and I'll go mine. This, this this one is going to fall very close to that number five marker, but I'm not quite sure which side it's going to fall on yet. Okay. Well, I will, what I do on my little list here is make them bold. So it adds to the ones that were, are on bold on my screen. And in fact, I'll just move it up to the top here. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, moving on from that one. If we need, I, I feel like that's what we might need to, go into a little bit more on later on as we get a little bit tight. So we'll leave it there for the time being. Um, let's come to modern day. Uh, I don't think it's going to have enough traction to get into the top five, but perhaps if we discuss this in a year or two's time, we might get to it. Uh, one of the best things, if not the best thing on wrestling television in 2020 is Sasha Banks and Bailey. Mate, it's, it's, fun. it's been brilliant. Like, it's been going on really since WrestleMania weekend, um, and then you just and there's been slow and subtle indications all the way through. Such a slow burner, such a slow, um, patient way of telling the story. Maybe that's because they needed these guys to do all the things. I get the feeling that it was maybe supposed to happen a bit sooner, but circumstances dictated that they needed these two to be heels for a bit longer. So they did put the brakes on slightly, but that's not hurt it. Because you still always got the sense that these two egomaniacs were going to, one of them was going to strike on the other, but you just didn't know which one was going to come first. But it built and it built and it built ever so slowly. And then I think the the booking around SummerSlam with Asuka facing both of them was such a cool idea. Like Who saw that one coming? And as far as I can remember, it's, it's unique. It's never been done before. Could be wrong on that. But it, even if it has, it absolutely worked in the context of this story. Um, and then obviously you've got the time, losing the titles at 
uh, payback to, the, to, to Shona Baszler and, and Nia Jax. And that's what ultimately did for the team. I think it's been amazing, mate. Like, I, I'd be an advocate for at least having this in consideration. I know there's the old argument about recency bias, but I think it's been far and away the best feud on television this year in all of wrestling. Um, I don't think there's anything that's come close, and it's not even got our first gear yet. It's barely even started. Um, and I think, and in fact, I think one of these ones that, you know, this might be like the X Factor where the journey towards the feud, towards the, the big moment is more interesting than what comes afterwards. But I think the breakup has been sensational. That would be one of my reasons for, you know, being a bit cooler on this than you. It's not that I don't think it's very, very good, but more that we're, we're not finished yet. You know, it's almost like, you know, you can't proclaim a song as one of your favorite ever, favorites ever two minutes into the first listen. You know, you need to get through the middle eight and the final chorus. And, yeah. just, and, and I feel like this hasn't paid off yet. And um, part of these breakup stories, everyone we're talking about so far, we know what happened. We know where Kane and X-Park went. We know yeah. where Rock and Foley went. We know where Bradshaw went. We know where Shawn Michaels went. You know, they're important, you know, points on their graph there is, are their breakups and we actually don't know yet with, with these two what i will say is i think you're doing it a bit of a disservice by saying it goes back to wrestlemania this year i think it goes back years and years and years in the nature of their characters you know all their matches in nxt mm. um some of the off-screen stuff in terms of the, the four horsewomen of nxt but also i'm not great on the timeline of this but how how and when did sasha turn heel she turned heel on Becky Lynch um, last year, sort of, I want I want to say sort of just before SummerSlam, but again, I could have got wrong with that. She came well, back. I, well, I would go back two, two years or so, and you had um, Bailey and Sasha teaming, or at least being very, very good friends on air, and you mm. were constantly waiting for Bailey to turn, sorry, we were constantly waiting for Sasha to turn on Bailey. That seemed to be the next step, and it never happened, you know. But that always mm-hmm. seemed to be the thing. At some point, they're going to realize, or she, Bailey's going to realize that Sasha's using her, that she you knows she's not really her friend, and whatever. And that never materialized, partly because um, of good writing, but all possibly partly because they realized it was going well. Because I would imagine, would you not have thought that? I know what's happened just the last few weeks is a bit different, but would you not imagine that the storyline for Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss? was essentially originally that Nikki's dead naive and lovely and Alexa's manipulative and a pain in the ass. And three or four weeks after they get together as mates, Alexa's going to kick her. You know, that was presumably, I would have thought the original plan for that. And then they've actually gone, Oh, actually, do you know what? These two have got a bit of charisma and, and relatability together. And it eventually turned Alexa babyface. Now it's gone off in a different direction, but do you see what I mean? I think they sort of went yeah. with that. There's been lots of examples of that. Um, very briefly, um, William Regal and Tajiri, and indeed William Regal and Eugene. They did the uh, similar yes, sort of indeed. thing of indeed. Regal being a bit of an antagonist and actually turning to go, oh, actually, Army's all right, this lad. That happens from time to time. And I feel like that's what happened with Bailey and Sasha. That it just went you know, so well the first time. And then Bailey turns, sorry, I keep doing that. Sasha turns without Bailey. They're doing their own separate thing. What you're not expecting is is Bailey to turn, join her old mate, for those two to dominate everything. And again, as you said, you're still waiting for the, the needle to come. You're still waiting for someone to turn on someone at some stage. 
But then you became, well, actually, is it going to happen? Because it had been teased so many times and didn't quite get there. And then when it did, it's been successful. It has been a, a terrific thing. Huge credit to the pair of them, because I will say that for, for one thing, Bailey was someone that I think a lot of us said two or three years ago, well, you know, the character worked in NXT as the underdog. But once you're up to the main roster, you can't really do that story again. And once you have done it, you've done it. And is she really going to be able to be a heel? Nah, probably not. And we were wrong. Well, I, I was, I'll admit I was wrong. A lot of other people might say they said all along it was going to work. They didn't. Not many people said it was going to work. And it has been tremendous. And sometimes we need to go, we got that one wrong, because I certainly did. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying I disqualify it for it not being finished. Um, if we only had two or three other good choices, then I'd be happy for this to go on. I just feel like it's going to end up as a mark against it in my book, the fact that it's not finished. Um, but it's a little bit like saying, you know, can you can you assess Messi as being one of the best players of all time? And say, so, well, actually, Paul, yeah, you probably can. Do you know what I mean? So maybe it's maybe there are it's reasons. Not, why you, you can make an exception. No, you, yeah, I think your analogy about the, the story, the... Um... The song was better, and even better, it's like a film trilogy. You can't say something's the uh, the best trilogy of all time if you've only seen parts one and two. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right to sort of disqualify it, penalise it, whatever you want to say. Because um, part three could be, um, it could be Toy Story three, or it could be Shrek three, um, which are very very different. To the there, third you part. there you go. There you go. Yeah, Hopefully. so I think I think I think I think you're absolutely right. So um, I've got one, two, three, four. I've got five more on my list. I've got five more on my list. It'd be interesting to see if it's Ooh. the same five. One of which um, I just wanted to mention. It's not a. I don't have a, a pitch for it, um, but I think it's a a slightly better. I thought it was a well-told story initially, and then faded. And didn't pay off. And again, the, maybe the place that it's in participates with that. Another one I think is a really great angle, but I'm not sure about the tag team nature of it. And then the other three I've got strong feelings for. So um, oh. where, where do we go? Where do, where do you want to go well, let's, let's, oh, have, let's have your weakest one first. Give us your weakest my, one first. My weakest one is beer money. Um, oh, okay, okay. And it's, it's really because, mainly because I didn't like the payoff match which was an unbelievably bloody brawl between Rude and Storm, which quite frankly turned my stomach because there was so mm. much blood and I found it really, really hard to watch. Sometimes blood in a match, let, let's for a second, sorry, Nigel, but let's for a second take out the health aspect and the troubles that we have with it these days, which we shouldn't ignore. Um, but for the time being, I'm just going to suppress. Uh, take, taking that thing out, out of the way, I still feel like sometimes a bit of blood in a match, for example... Austin bleeding down his head at WrestleMania 13 can yes. add to a match. And other times you just go, this just looks ridiculous. The pair of them are just covered in blood and they look stupid. Namely a lot of triple H matches uh, in the middle of the noughties, um, whether just everybody's bladed and that was what, what, no one else bladed ever, but every triple H match, both of them did. Um, I feel like that was the thing that turns me off it. And I can't, reasonably put this up as a, a real contender because the payoff was like that but actually this was a team that was born out of i was there the first night in fact, well, i don't think you were you might have been though these two teams for the first time in liverpool, liverpool on the tour no on the tour of 2008 in uh, of the uk from tna 
Um, and they weren't a team at that point, but they were thrown together on a night and they had a bit of um, of a connection. And so gradually on the, on the TV, they started to team a bit more and then they had the name and then they had a gimmick and then they had gear that was similar. And then they had four tag team reigns as type champions, I think it was. An amazing era of tag team wrestling um, in TNA at that time, particularly um, Beer Money and the Machine Guns, but there were other teams as well that were very, very fine, LAX and the Team 3D and um, yeah. various others. Um, and they were terrific. They were the, they were the highlight of the show. Um, they were great uh, entertaining, heel, uh, entertaining heel team, two great wrestlers, two different wrestlers, but you could see why they clicked. Fun as baby faces as part of Fortune. And then the time come, came where it was sensible that the pair of them would go their own way. And then the turn from rude on storm, you know, when it looked like, you know, storm was going to have his moment, it just beautifully done. Really, 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 really well done. But I just, I'm, I can't have the end ending of it, but I think the, the first 75% of this into including the teaming, the team's run and the breakup is terrific. And again, maybe we're looking at the wrong facets here because we're talking about the best breakups, but I do think we have to take it in its totality and in the end, I'm not sure how much. I think it would, this might have been fun if the pair of them had had a beer, clinked together and gone, I'll go for the title, you go for the title, and that they never had broken up. And they might have had a match and then shaken hands after it. I, I would have liked these two to have clinked glasses, clinked bottles, gone their own way, and then come back to it later on. As, as it was, for me, it didn't really quite work. I think the key point there, mate, is for you. Um I know you're not a fan of those type of matches at all. Doesn't mean it was a bad example of it. it was a, it was a very bloody brawl, but the feud warranted it, in my opinion. If indeed you can um, accept the fact that any feud warrants um, such a match, and it was way over the top, I'll grant you that. Um, I thought it was a very unique and very interesting way of splitting up the team. It was the right time. Um, it was a bit of a swerve. Was it that? James Storm won the Bound for Glory series. Yeah. And then Bobby and then he lost to Kurt Angle. Yeah. And then Bobby Roode won it straight after and went heel. Is that right? Have I got that right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And then straight away he's a world champion and he becomes this totally different figure. I thought it was really good. Um my memory doesn't allow me to go to bat for it as much as I maybe would like. I seem to remember it being excellent at the time. Um but I um I certainly wouldn't disqualify it just based on the blow-off match. I'm not sure it'd go any further for me anyway. I think we're in. there's a lot of strong contenders here and it wasn't quite good enough, but I thought it was an excellent breakup. And I think, I think as much as anything, I'm just, I'm such a fan of the two guys um, and a fan of the team. And sometimes things just fly a little bit under the radar. Um, and in the same way that at one point, uh, even under good competition, because I think it was during an Edge heel run and a Jericho heel run and Miz as world champion. But at one point, Bully Ray was the best heel in, in wrestling. Um, and uh, because yes. he was in TNA, it didn't really get identified. Uh, and I would say at one point, uh, Beer Money was the best team. I won't say in the world, because sometimes it's not that's not fair to bring in Mexico and Japan and their own worlds. But I would say Beer Money was the best tag team in North America. Um, uh, yeah. Definitely. And because they were on TNA, you know, you don't necessarily, you know, had they lock stock been signed as a unit while they were beer money, they would have been massive because the pair of them are WWE guys. 
characters. Yes. You know, they, they yeah. could have been, they just work. Some people don't work in one company or another, whether that's AEW or New Japan or TNA or Ring of Honor or WCW or ECW or whatever. Sometimes you click somewhere and sometimes you don't. It simply happens that way. Um, you know, Lex Luger, WCW guy, not a WWF guy, for example. Yeah. Um, uh, these two would have been WWE guys. Um, and the, the beer money team would have been there is always that thing of you know would Vince have pushed them because it wasn't his creation I don't know if that's true or not it's not for me to suggest but had that not been true you know had it had he been able to get past the fact they were a TNA act and it wasn't his creation I think they would have got such a kick out of that act and I think WWE with its production and its wider range of opponents and the things that they were more willing to do in terms of pushing the envelope and filming things differently. I think they could have been absolutely massive in WWE. And then who knows what the breakup would have been like then. But uh, I, I think I feel like I'm pushing for these two because I was such a fan of the team. Um, There's nothing wrong they, with that. What they brought to the table. And um, they'll be forgotten when, when people are doing the, um, the greatest ever tag teams in 15 years time, these two aren't going to break the top 25, 30 and they should. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm not crossing them out yet. I don't think they'll make the five, but I certainly don't think we should cross them out just yet. Okay, well, I'll embolden them and I'll take them up on my little list then. Uh, let's. It's only fair you go next. Okie doke. Let's, I'll start on the lower rungs of where I want to talk about. And let's go with Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. Okay. This was one I haven't got, I haven't got this down, um, and I probably should have done. This is one of two um, that come up in a similar sort of vein for me. Uh, but go on, you do your bit, and then I'll rebut. Well, to me, this one uh, again, it was similar to the Rockers, but obviously not quite on the same level. You got that slow burn, that frustration seeping through. I love the fact that they were, you know partner versus partner in the opening match at WrestleMania is a pure competitive spectacle. Uh, but then ultimately, uh, once they lost the titles and just when you didn't expect it, Eddie Guerrero snapped and he became for the first time in a long time, a vicious, sadistic, nasty heel. And it's something we'd not seen of, of him in, well, ever really, um, not to that degree. And he absolutely just destroyed Roman Sierra. And I think the brutality of it really sold where he was at. And as ultimately, it was a tale of two friends where jealousy and frustration with his position in his life just got the better of Eddie Guerrero and turned him into a character that he wasn't. Um, and it, again, so believable, so believable. Obviously, wrestlers, wrestling's panto and everything's played out on a very large canvas, very exaggerated, but, you know, how many times have we all had friends where a, a little bit of jealousy turns into a lot of jealousy and then turns into dislike? Hopefully it hasn't happened very often in our lives, but, you know, I think we've, we can all relate to it at some point. Um, that comment's going to make for very interesting viewing in about three years' time when you and I aren't talking to one another. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's a day, Rob, where that's going to happen. Who, who else is talking <laughs> about wrestling to you for three hours a week? I, just, I could just squeal into the void like I have done for many times <laughs> over the years. Just, just uh, dog anyone just going by, just yelling out to people along the street, why didn't they do more with Rick Martel? Just get married, mate. It's the same difference. 
<laughs> My wife doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, where were we? Yes, Rey Mysterio Eddie. Not more to add to it, really. Um, good feud coming out of it. Not exceptional. But what my, uh, the, to me, the moment was the breakup. You know, it was a sensational actual moment of breakup. One of the absolute very best. Um, and also love what it did to the Eddie Guerrero character coming out of it. Changed him uh, massively and gave him a kick up the arse that it needed. After losing the title, it really did go into, the character went into its shell and didn't really come out until this moment. And, you know, he sadly passed away very, very soon after. But if he hadn't, this breakup would have been the catalyst for part two in Eddie Guerrero's main event journey. It would have been him, the start of him being catapulted right back to the top. So, um, so a bit of poignancy around it as well, but really it was just amazing. Yeah, it's good. You've, you've given that a stronger sell than, than I probably would have anticipated. It's quite, again, another quite hard one to, um, to rebut really. I can't, I can't offer too many counterpoints to that. It wasn't one I was really considering at all. And again, it's partly because I just don't see the pair of them as a tag team. Um, but they were, they were at the time they were in tag team yeah, matches and having tag team. I think they were, did win the titles, didn't they? So, um, yeah, yeah. They were I guess for a while, I guess I instinctively don't consider them a tag team, which is probably wrong of me. Um, and I kind of think similar, not quite the same. I was kind of soften both things. So where you say, I'd, I'd, I'd say this is a good, a really quality breakup and a team a little bit too short lived to be considered a team. Whereas the, the Los Guerreros one, I would sort of like bring those two things a bit more in alignment where, you know, they are a bit more of a team, but the, the breakup itself wasn't so much. Cause that was something else that people certainly suggested was the Chavo and Eddie breakup as well as the, um, yeah. the Ray, Ray and Eddie breakup. Um, I don't have a lot more to add, to be honest. Um, I, I don't feel it in my heart that this is one that I would push for, but I, I certainly don't have a, I don't have an answer for you. I don't have well, a, a no Paul because. I think, it, I think, you know, we say this about things every week, but I think it's probably for me, top 10, not top five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. But I love, but I loved it. Uh, right. The next two I want to do, I think differently about them in comparison, but, Let's see how they go. Because, we're, again, we're into that territory of are they a team um, or are they just some mates or are they a group or whatever? Go on there. Uh, I'll start with one, but I wanted to lead into the other. Um, specifically, 2002 DX. Clearly, they'd not been together for four years or so because Shawn Michaels hadn't wrestled in four years or so. But they were very much back together as a unit very briefly, touching on their history of where they'd been four or five years earlier when Triple H turned on him, pedigree, head through the window, match at SummerSlam, off to the races. I probably go drop on the side of they're not enough of a team. First of all, they were never really considered a tag team until Bingo. silly fun DX shoving Vince's head up Big Show's ass DX when they were a tag yep. team. But before that, to me, they're not really a tag team. And even if you discount the fact that they weren't around together for four or five years in between, I would actually let that go. Um, but they, the first time round, DX was a unit but were not a team. So a lot of people will have thought about this one. I have seen it suggested. I love the angle. Uh, really, really well done. And to what it led to and what it touched on, perfect. But to me, they're not a tag team. Oh, unquestionably, it's a really hard no from me, simply on criteria. Like you say, it was a brilliant angle. That you, you hit it 
I'm, I'm repeating you just now, they were never a team in the first place. And certainly when they came back in 2002, came back into each other's orbit, Shawn Michaels wasn't even a wrestler. No. So, um, so they were not a tag team and they are not in the discussion. Which is why, do you not think it's always weird that they talk about the fact that Shawn Michaels was a member of the NWO? And it's like, yeah. well, but he wasn't well, technically, technically he was, but... Um, I know, know technically he was. It's a little bit like Eric Cantona signing for Manchester City. And it's like, well, <laughs> he can sign all he likes, but he's not going to play, is he? And it's like, yeah. it was, just, it was yeah. such a strange thing to have a member of a group that's we're not a manager and not a valet... And not a, you know, what was he? What was the point of that? Anyway, another another uh, sidebar. Right. If DX at that time were not a team, what about the Mega Powers? Well, that's a totally different story. Okay. They sure. they unquestioned. They, well, they were a tag team. Okay. In every sense, in every sense of the word, they had matching gear. They had a name. They had tag team matches together. They declared themselves a team. They were a tag team. They might have been a tag team of two absolute megastars at the main event level, and they might not have wrestled all their matches as a team at that period. But unquestionably, yes, they were a tag team. I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm essentially reacting off of uh, one particular comment. In fact, I will, we'll do some... Uh, after this particular discussion, we'll do some comments um, from the Facebook uh, page because there's some interesting ones this time uh, before we wrap yep. up. Um, but Lewis Brown on Facebook said, um, Savage and Hulk Hooked is on. probably the best. Hooked on Lewis Brown. Yeah, of course. Um, he said, uh, Savage and Hulk is probably the best, but can you count it if they were singles just put together to do the breakup? So I think his point is that the reason that they became a team was because clearly they were going to have it. So it's like, if you decided now. A fair point. If you decided now that WrestleMania's main event is going to be, uh, okay, they've already started it, so it's a bad example. But if they were going to do Drew McIntyre versus Keith Lee at WrestleMania, they've just suddenly started mentioning Keith. Oh, Keith Lee and Drew McIntyre are friends. Is that what they ever done mentioned that before? And it's like, you know, so they make them friends and then make them team, and then at the Rumble, Keith Lee turns on him. Do you know what I mean? It's like if, if at this moment yeah. in time they decide we're going to have people pal up for six months and have some wrestling matches, tag team matches, just to break up, does that a tag team make? Uh, and I think it's a fair point. I just, I, I, But I don't agree with it. I think they did do enough as a unit. They sort of came together to be a team, to, to fend off teams. You know, they, they wrestled other teams, didn't they? they even then, they might have been short-lived teams, but they still came together to, to wrestle teams. Like... Um, uh, Gibiossi and Andre or whatever, the, the Twin Towers. They, there was a reason why they were a tag team wrestling other tag teams on pay-per-view, and I think that's good enough. They had a name. They weren't just, they weren't just Hulk and, and Randy. They had a name. They had a look. They had an outfit. They shared a manager. Um, I think it's enough. Yeah, I think Lewis makes a very fair point. Um, they were clearly brought together with that. The end goal being the, the main event of the WrestleMania, the next WrestleMania being those two facing each other. But you're right, they did enough and it lasted long enough and, and stories worked slowly back then. So they got enough time to establish the team together before they started the breakup. So yes, it does technically really contradict our rule at the top of the show, but um, I think they did, they did more than enough to constitute being a tag team. Yeah, I, I don't think it even does technically. I, 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 could, I, could, I could tolerate someone's discussion to a if someone said they disagree with me i would understand why they disagree with me sometimes you go 
that doesn't make sense. You know, you're wrong. But I would, you know, if someone yeah. said we, if they disagreed, I don't think it's a case of right and wrong. I think it's just a case of having different parameters that you might both work to. On this particular right. occasion, I think we're we're, we're in sync. Um, so that puts us there in a position where we can consider them. And once you get to that point, I mean, it's one of the great stories, isn't it? Unquestionably. It's, it barely needs, it's one of these, we have one of these every week, don't we, where it, it almost seems a little bit churlish to recap it because it's so iconic and so great. Um, it was it was really well done. Like, you know, the, the right guy turned at the right time for the right reasons and it ended up in a, a massive money really good match um everything about it was bomb on like it was it created you know it brought together two of the biggest stars of the time um they did them they did what oh, they were the supposed way. to do and they created a great match three of them well sorry stars. yeah no you sorry you you're absolutely right elizabeth was certainly certainly crucial. in that group uh, a big part of that group and yeah hugely crucial to the story um I think this goes on the list without too much tension and without too much thought, really. It's people know what the mega, if you don't know what the mega powers are, please go back and, and follow the story. It's really not hard on the WWE network. Um, if it's, we don't really want to ruin it for you, but um, yeah, they, these go on. Of course they do. If we can't, if yeah, I feel like I've seen something, uh, a, a program. Uh, these the, just recently, they've just added something called WWE timeline, which is excellent. Um, and, and if they haven't done, the mega powers yet then they probably will but i've definitely seen something many years ago where it was a kind of follow it along because this is before my time it's before i was a fan so i can't commentate on this um you know living it at the time but certainly going back and seeing how they did it and this was a feud very much put together on saturday night's main event wasn't it this was a, yeah. a real, if you say to me saturday night's main event i immediately think of the mega powers i feel that like that's where they told the bulk of the story building up to certain matches as well as pay-per-views of course but once again i'll i'll give a little nod to uh to bruce pritchard's podcast where i think they did a mega powers episode didn't they where they they walked it along and talked about the lit again little subtleties of when hogan was celebrating did he put his hand a little bit too low down the back of miss elizabeth and and made totally randy have a and it's like they did do that they it wasn't a kind of accidental um, do you know what's another, another one that they never really made a lot of it, but they did lots of little sight, not gags, but little sight references. Do you remember when The Rock was taking over as the uh, main man in the Nation of Domination? Yes. And every time he did something, there was a look of Farouk's where he just is. Yes, of course, yeah. But they never acknowledged it. The, 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 um, the commentators never went, Farouk's getting pissed off. It was just as a viewer, you went, oh, look at him. Look, he's getting annoyed with this. And there was a little, I don't, I don't, I think Jesse might have a couple of times said, oh, you know, Hogan's doing this and Hogan's doing that, but he was a heel. So you kind of dismissed it. I don't ever remember Vince McMahon or uh, Gorilla Monsoon or anyone else like that, you know, really making too much of it until it all went off until they started to have a couple of pull aparts that then they shook hands on, you know, and, and then they went to the races with the breakup. Um, again, this is one of those ones. If we're not making a strong enough case for you folks, it's probably because you're not familiar enough. So, you really ought to go away and have a look at this one because it's so, so well done. And again, the angle, um, you think of the attack back because it's Hogan taking Liz backstage, isn't it? And then them having the, the fight in the um, the medical room and all that kind of stuff. Liz pleading, Randy, don't hurt him. It's, oh, it's, it's you know, it's terrific. Uh, and undisputed on the list, yes? I would say so. Okay. The only, yeah, my only 
downfall of that one was that if you'd have said that you didn't consider them a team, um, no, 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 I would have had to accept your your view. But fortunately, we, we agree. Uh, I've got two left. I don't know about you. Uh, one, two, three. Hit me with one of yours. I'm going to go with the one. I'm, I'm pretty certain I know which one, which two yours are. So I'm going to go with the third one. Again, this is one I don't want to spend hardly any time on. It's not going to make the top five, but it's really, I'm really fond of it. Um, Rob Van Damme and Kane. Oh yeah, and I did have that written down actually. It's, but what I'd done is I'd put Kane dot 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 X Puck slash RVD. So when we right. did the uh, when we did the X Puck stuff, I kind of I forgot about Rob Van Dam really. Uh, but yeah, no, do go on. I, I agree exactly with what you've just said. It's not going to make the list, but it is worth talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really good stuff. You know, they were a good team. They were crying, cracking along, absolutely fine. You know, again, a bit of an odd couple, but working well until Kane came up, came across Triple H. The stipulation in the match, in the title match, was if he lost, he lost the mask. He lost the mask, and it sent him absolutely clinically insane. And the first victim of that was his friendship with Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam still, you know, was trying to look out for his friend. Rob Kane wanted nothing to do with that and destroyed him. Um, ultimately, what happened after that is Rob Van Dam became a stepping stone onto Kane's singles push as this twisted, horrible monster heel, which didn't really work but you know it, it was good for it was good for a short period of time it, there was a bit too much comedy involved unintentional comedy but it did you know, it did it did peak in the uh, the match against the undertaker the returning dead man at wrestlemania 20 but what it did is it it, it established kane as that vicious heel again and for for in the short term it, it worked um it was just a really good you know it was a story of one man losing his mind and destroying his friend there's not much more to it than that but i thought it was really well done it was a highlight of that summer 2003 you went a little bit cinema voiceover there you didn't do the deep inner world voice you, you went <laughs> the story of one man and his fight <laughs> against his demons glenn jacob is kane <laughs> it's a little bit of one of those it would still be a better film than see no evil um but uh yeah i i, I let's not let's not talk any more about it but it, it is it's, it's another example if we were doing a lecture on the breakup the nature of the breakup you'd include this as as, as a module because well that's not quite work but you know what i mean you would use it as a, as a talking topic because it's it's a different one it's a different one isn't it it's not a turn on your partner because you hate them a turn turn on them because they're holding you back turn on them because you know, X, Y, Z, it was really just sheer frustration. It could have been anyone stood next to, you know, Kane, couldn't it? It could have been The Undertaker. It right. could have been Rey Mysterio. It could have been The Pope. It could have been Gloria Hunnaford. It didn't really matter. It was just going to beat them up, whoever it was, because he was so annoyed with someone else. It was transference, wasn't it, as, as, as much as anything. So, uh, yeah, good angle. Right, yeah. good angle. Not worthy enough to get anywhere near this list, because, again, the standards have been so high. But uh, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, before we do our final two, I will go to the, um, the to the Facebook messages because uh, we had a lot of good ones um, and we actually put this uh, question up quite late today, um, but it was uh, still brought some good chats. Uh, I'll edit a few of them as I talk, um, but uh, Francis Reyes, big supporter of ours, uh, thank you for being there all the time, Francis. Uh, he says... Uh, when Eddie was in a tag team array, that was a heartache when they broke up, as you said. He refers to the Festival of Friendship, so he would have included that one. Uh, and then he says that uh, he was very sad when the, the Iconics broke up, which is uh, talk about recency bias. Uh, and he said that uh, he, he referenced Bailey and Sasha as well. 
Um, Daniel Stockwell, um, the rocker stands the test of time. And then he mentioned another one that, uh, that we, we haven't yet spoken about, another two that we haven't yet spoken about. Uh, he also loved the Festival of Friendship. So I think if we'd have put the Festival of Friendship, the Owens-Jericho thing through, I think it would have got a lot of votes, but it's our own criteria that's uh, taken that out. Uh, yeah. John Thorndike mentions one we're going to talk about in a minute. Michael O'Shea simply says, kicking someone through a window is pretty awesome. Uh, John O'Gibb, James D, the several he's that not, uh, he's not wrong. I'm mentioning a couple that we haven't gone to yet. Uh, Lee Tyres, MOS Army, uh, says a tie between the Mega Powers and the Rockers. Matt Barber mentions the Festival of Friendship. He also mentions Enzo and Cass and says, what about the look on Enzo's face? I don't really remember that, to be honest. Uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't all-time great, but before he went off the deep end and, and became deeply unlikable, Enzo was actually a fairly um, fairly sympathetic babyface, and, and seeing his, big, his, his best friend and his protector and his childhood buddy you know, turn on him in such a fashion. It did. It did work. It worked. It, what came after was utter shite. Oh, um, yeah, but, uh, but the break, you know, shark cages and big show and all sorts of nonsense. But the actual breakup was decent. Not mm. decent enough to, to warrant any further conversation, but not bad by any stretch of the imagination. They were short term a big deal. You know, the reaction that they would they get were. everywhere. They Absolutely huge but for the NXT, but then when they come to the main roster, another one they, they debuted the night after Mania, didn't they? Another you know, really good example uh -huh. of picking the right time yep. to, to bring them in. But for a long time, I remember thinking of these as the new New Age Outlaws. You know, it was you oh, know, yeah. the, the action, the catchphrases, and all that kind of stuff. It was, um, they're someone we never really brought up, actually. I don't, I don't again, I they were sort of had a couple of mini um fallouts that didn't really constitute a breakup, and then uh, it was easier to put them back together again. Um, who else yeah. we got? We mentioned Lewis. Uh, Andy Keenan says the Steiner brothers break up, uh, and and uh, Savage and Hulk have to be up there. Uh, Matt Lambert, we talked about. He mentioned about Hulk being thrown from the Titantron, and then we'll end this little section on uh, Simon Bartley and Chris Marden having very much the same idea when they mentioned China and X Park, and indeed Xavier Woods and Brad Maddox. Moving on, see what you did there, lads. Uh, yeah. I've I've got, two left. I've got two left on uh, my list. I think you've got two left on yours, which are probably the same. You take the first one, I'll take the second. Anyone you like. Okay, I'll go for the shield. Okay, good. Simply put. Uh, and since we're doing comments, um, I'll do the couple of comments we've had on the shield, a couple of the better ones anyway. Um, okay. Because there's, there's uh, one, at least one, I'll, I'll give you two, because they contradict. Uh, James D., James Jesterdy, to give him his full title on the, on the Facebook page, says, in terms of the actual breakup, it has to be The Shield, answering the question of what's the greatest. It has to be The Shield. They were riding high. They had just defeated Evolution. They were fully realized as a unit, were blood brothers. When Triple H unleashed Plan B, it could not have been more out of nowhere and more shocking. It was key in strapping a rocket to all three of them and making them all utter superstars. James is behind it. That's his point. However, Daniel Stockwell... Uh, he says, I feel the Shield breakup was weak, done more for shock value. Uh, the others, he's, told, he's mentioned a couple before that his comment, the others were shocking, but also felt like natural progression. This felt completely random. So there's a couple of different, um, yeah, there was more comments than just that, but there was uh, there's a couple of opposite opinions. Um, I think we are both a bit higher on it than the, the Daniel would be. But uh, first of all, do you acknowledge his criticism? Was it weak? Was it done for shock value? Was it random? No. So all, all three of the questions. Um, was it booked fairly? You know, I think it, 
it's fairly common knowledge that it was a last minute decision, but we shouldn't care. As viewers, that shouldn't become a criteria for us. doesn't matter whether they decided to book it a year in advance or whether they decided to book it five minutes in advance. As long as it plays out correctly on screen, that's not a criteria that we should give any truck to whatsoever. Um, I think only the only people that should care about that are people that think they like, that like, how do I put this well? They think they know more about what they're discussing than they actually do. And they want, and they absolutely want to care more about the inner workings of it. When really it's an entertainment product that what matters is the output. Um, by all means, criticize the output if it's bad, but if it's great, who cares how it came together? Um, and no, and I, and I disagree vehemently. I think on screen, it was very, very well done. It fit the characters of everybody involved. The shield were a unit. Now, I will say, I think maybe it came a bit too soon, um, but only a smidge. And these were guys that were needed in the main event. You know, the main event scene was bare. And these guys were ready to break out. So I can, I can totally see the reasoning. Um, Triple H had been humiliated. Um, he tried to get one over the shield. He tried to, to show his dominance um, through force of will, through power, through, you know, through strength. And it failed miserably. The Shield wiped him out in the elimination match the night before. They beat Evolution 3-0. Um, failed miserably. So Triple H did what he always does um, when his back's against the wall. And he became the cerebral assassin. And, and I'm talking character-wise here, obviously. But Triple H showed he is amongst the smartest wrestlers of all time. Because what he did was he thought, right, well, if I can't beat them through force of will, then I'll beat them from the inside and he essentially paid off Seth Rollins he essentially you know we talked about earlier about how people have got selfish desires that can um, transcend friendships and bonds and he found the weakest member of the shield he found the one that was vulnerable to those sorts of advances and he preyed on him and he got what he wanted and ultimately he destroyed the shield through his maneuverings he manipulated Seth Rollins he or Seth Rollins, whatever you want to call it. And Seth Rollins turned on his brothers, defeated the, uh, defeated the Shield from the inside. Um, Triple H wins. Perfect motivations from both the protagonists. Uh, and by that, I mean, obviously, Triple H and Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, uh, sorry, antagonists even. Um, Ambrose and Reigns' motivations don't come into the equation because they were passive. Um, but... It was played absolutely right into what that Triple H character was totally consistent with what he'd done previously and would do. Um, and Seth Rollins is believable. Um, he was the third wheel of the shield. You know, people always talked about how Roman Reigns was the breakout star, who had all these great performances in the Royal Rumble, and Dean Ambrose was the, the indie darling who had all this credibility, who was going to be the next Roddy Piper or whatever. Seth Rollins was neither of those things. And he saw his opportunity to. Um, to become the big star at the three and he took it. So br brilliantly done. And, and, and such a shock, my God. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I agree with pretty much all of that. I actually think any of them could have done it. I actually think that the, the three of them are more rounded enough that, you know, we're now finally, finally, finally seeing what a heel Roman Reigns Ooh. could be about. But I think he's always had a little bit of that in him. Probably wasn't good enough at the time on the microphone. So, you know, that would have been the issue no. there. But Triple H could have done a lot of the talking for him. It still could have worked. It, but he, would, he probably would have been option three. Um, I find Ambrose really, really, really easy to hate. 
Um, don't know the man in real life. Don't know what he's like. Could be really cool. But he, I've always found him really easy to hate. I think I ever so slightly would have preferred this to have been Ambrose turning on the other two. He feels like the more snidey one to me. Was it not him that was trying to eliminate the other two when they were still a unit and they were in the rumble? And he was the one that was trying to eliminate the other ones. And they, it was like, I've always felt he was the more snidey of the three. Um, but maybe that was obvious. And so it was even more shocking that Rollins did it. But all this is, is trifling. The point is we have to talk about what did happen. Uh, and it worked really well. It did. It made Seth Rollins. Because this is ultimately the thing. When you've got a three-man unit or even a two-man unit and you break them up, you're trying to make stars. You have to make someone. And it made Rollins. I'm not sure it did make Ambrose. I think Ambrose always stayed around about the same level throughout his time. I know he had a championship run. I always feel Ambrose was roughly where he, about where he was and where he belonged along his whole run. But obviously, Reigns did become a star. That's its own conversation. But ultimately, I think this helped one person massively, one person quite a bit. And it didn't do any harm to the third. So therefore, the uh, the actual success of what happened is very, very strong. Uh, the build-up to Huge. it is very, very strong because the Shield were such a unit. If you just watch WWF tele- WWE television, you know you don't know about their backgrounds in the Indies. You don't know about NXT, etc. They came in as a unit. They acted like a unit. The, their first introductions looking like they were doing the hench work, henchman work for, for CM Punk and, and Paul Heyman. Um, you know, was its own story. But even then, after that, fa- after that faded, they were always their own unit. You know, they were the shield. They did very little on their own. And again, we're talking about a tag team being two people, but they were absolutely a three-man unit, like such as Paul said earlier on about like the New Day. You think of them as a three, so they're absolutely eligible for this as a tag team. Um, and then, as Paul said, the actual breakup itself, it seemed to come out of nowhere. I don't remember. I think. I felt like they'd break up at some point and I felt that one of them mm, would turn on yeah. ones at some point, but I don't yeah. remember thinking, Oh, this is going to happen tonight. I think, I think, I think I realized it was good. like a lot of these great things. You sort of realize the audience realizes about 0.7 of a second before it happens. Like it doesn't happen. And you go, Oh, what was that? You sort of, you have the moment of, Oh my God, he's about to bang. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just because he just steps back and rears the chair, but doesn't milk it and doesn't look around and doesn't think about it, but goes step back. Okay. Yeah. Bang. And it, the timing is so good because there have been a couple of, I can't think of examples off the top of my head, but there have been a couple of examples where someone runs in, who are they going to hit? They're going to hit that guy. They're going to help their friend. No swerve. And it's like, well, you sort of know that's coming, don't you? Once they hit the ring, you sort of know that's coming. And um, this was, I think, the timing of it was much better. So I, I think this ticks every box. Great storyline building up. Great storyline reason for it to happen. Shocking moment. Success after. What's not to love? What's not to love, indeed. It was just expertly done. Um, and I, I can say, I, wonderful moment, wonderful surprise created three megastars or two megastars and, and one guy that's well on his way to rehabilitating himself elsewhere, having not quite hit the heights in WWE. Um, absolutely wonderful example of complete net positive. I've got one. In fact, in fact, in fact how many, you know, the, the last one we're going to mention might, might well end up being the exception to the rule on a smaller scale, but how many tag team breakups of this magnitude have, have birthed three Stars, yeah. yeah. Well, all of the guys have been stars, but certainly not three. Um, it's never been a more important tag team breakup, really. Nope, 
nope, it fits there. It fits a lot of fits for a lot of reasons. Um, there's bound to be ones that we've missed off, folks, from your opinion. Uh, that's cool. There's others that probably haven't think about what our criteria are because there might be ones where you can say, well, a certain breakup of the horsemen or of the NWO or whatever. But you, you've heard our theories for why we were referring to things as tag teams. So uh, that's just the way it goes. And one other one that I can see people mentioning would be Brett and Owen. Um, I did want to speak about this one, actually. That's a really good point. But, you know, they were never really a tag team, were they? They were put together to part. You know, talk about people that were put together to part. They literally came together for about a month or so. Well, they came together for the, the... the, the Survivor Series match, and then it built out of that to the Rumble. I don't think that's Absolutely. enough to get a tag team. Even if we did, it's a great angle and it's really iconic and everything. But it's, know, a, great, it- it's, a, it's a great breakup. If if we were to do a list of guys that were put together to break to break up, these would be very close to the top of the list. Hmm. But yeah, well, okay, I'm not. But we're not. Absolutely, so, absolutely but it's there. Uh, uh, it's a topic. It's a topic for another day. Uh, okay, one left, um, and I'll just say two names: Jackie Abbott and Paul Heaton. <laughs> it's a perfect ten, not a perfect five. Jackie Abbott and Paul Heaton had a song several years ago called DIY. I think they did that just before these two gentlemen started calling themselves by that name. So they're obviously big fans. Uh, I'm sure big. Uh, old old Johnny Wrestling and Tommaso are often down there putting on their, their favourite albums and listening to uh, One Last Love Song. But it was one last, um, well, we thought one last moment between the two of them when they broke up. Actually, the story between the two of them has been, if, if you don't follow NXT every week like I don't, sometimes it's very hard to work out exactly how they're, are they mates again? Are they baby faces? Are they heels? It's quite hard to work out if you're not following it all the time. But the moment when they broke, you probably better tell me the specific takeover. I can't remember which one it was, but I'm talking about the one where they stood at the top of the ramp and you thought the show had ended. They even did the whole little bottom third graphic, didn't they? It was the night was over. Yeah. Bang. I Absolutely. think specifically the breakup, we'll get into the rest of it, but specifically the breakup, the moment, what it came out of, how it happened, how vicious it was, how shocking it was. I think the breakup on its own is the best of all of these. I think it's better than the Mega Powers. I think it's better than the Rockers. I think it's better than the AP. I think it's better than all of them. Now, I'm not saying it absolutely is definitely the answer to this list because we are talking about more factors rather than just the moment itself. But that moment when he did that, I did not see that coming. Who did? It was, you know, it's the ultimate, ultimate surprise. There was no foreshadowing. There was nothing, you know, if you remember in the run up to it, um, they were facing, it was NXT TakeOver Chicago. One event that was, by the way. Um, they were they were facing the Authors of Pain in a ladder match for the tag team titles, which they lost. But if you remember going into it, uh, Ciampa had that um, bad, was it an ACL injury or a knee injury? Much the same. Um there were rumours that he wouldn't even make the match and people were talking about having a, a dream team of Johnny Gargano and one of the members of the Revival. Um, the other one was injured. I can't, again, forget which one. doesn't matter. But there was meant to be a Revival DIY dream team to go up against yeah, the Pain, which, which would have been brilliant. 
Um, but it was just a rumour, and that was all. Um, so in the end, Ciampa gutted out. And it was one of those performances, a bit like Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 19, where we as viewers go in knowing they're injured, and it adds that extra layer of emotion and respect to the match. Um, and we were absolutely, everyone was behind DIY anyway. They were one of, the, one of the most beloved teams in all of WWE history, never mind in NXT, never mind currently, just beloved. And they earned every bit of it by scraping up from the very bottom. Um, but that night we really cared about Champa um, because of how much hard work he'd put in with what we knew was a bad injury. And it transpired that was true. It wasn't a ruse. So when they're at the end of the uh, match, and like you say, the lower third graphic comes up and they're on the stage and where we as viewers are you know, really invested in these two wonderful baby faces and their gallant effort and knowing that Champa's going to be out now injured and you know, it's going to be a while before we see him. And then, oh, shit. Whoa. An attack that came out of absolutely nowhere, but it wasn't random. It wasn't remotely random. It were. It was just gobsmackingly brilliantly done um i remember jumping out of my the last time i have jumped out of my seat in you know in shock sheer shock watching wwe um just tremendous and look what it's gone on to do we don't need to talk about the 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 recent history of those two guys and how they've been intertwined and what they've done separate and apart they have been the backbone of nxt and that tag team was the launching pad for that, and therefore that breakup was the launching pad for that story. They've, they have been everything that has that was great about NXT for two or three years. Um, mate, this is this is un, this is so good, like so so good in every single way. It's absolutely magic, and um, I think Johnny Johnny Gargano is one of those ones. He is very 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 talented. Um, whenever I've seen him on anything non wrestling, as in like a a table for three or something like that. He comes across as really sound, very intelligent, well-spoken, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's an an all-round good guy. It wouldn't shock me massively if he ends up not really cracking the case as as a career, never really quite making it to the very top. But in 20 years, he's he's head trainer of NXT or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's just so respected. He'll be an agent or he'll be something. He wants to do it, you know, because he's so good. Um, and I, I love him the pieces, but I, 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 I get what he's done on both sides of the fence, but I think he's such a better baby face than he is a heel. Personally. I think, the, I think his style befits that. I think he's, is just his. I think he's likable, his size, everything. And this was the ultimate moment of, he was such a victim here, such a good victim, such a good fall yes. guy. Cause you utterly, utterly felt for him. What was he supposed to do? He's worked as hard as he can. He's done his best, but they're two big guys. You lose the match, whatever. That's the way it goes. You did everything you could. But actually, at the same time, you sort of understood where Champa came from. You sort of understood that he felt frustrated that his mate hadn't really done enough for him and hadn't got through for him. And you sort of understood why he was frustrated and lashed out. And so it all kind of made sense. And both characters, if you if you interviewed them in character, you feel like they'd be able to justify their actions or react to those yeah. actions. And it led to great matches and, it, and it just like properly amazing. And I always think the thing is with wrestling is that you need to try and make, because everyone knows it's not real fake, uh-huh. you know, my new one is actually, I've, I've thought of it for years and years and years. I've said, you know, you know, EastEnders is fake, you know, 
the godfather is fake but those things are actually scripted these days i tend to go you know x factor's not real don't you you know top gear's not real don't you you know <laughs> scripted reality um That's but anyway it. but this is the kind of one that so often i think because it's so it's a little bit like if you're in the front row it's not a good thing to sit in the front row of a wrestling show because you can actually see that they're not hitting one another it's better to sit further. But no, I don't want them to hit one another, by the way, because that's part of the art. But it's better to sit a bit further away so it's not quite so obvious. Um, yes. And sometimes things need to be so perfect in wrestling because you, it's, it's, there's some scrutiny. There needs to be no um, no air, no breathing space, no no room to see through something. And I think this particular angle, this particular breakup, you couldn't go, oh, well, why has he done that then? Well, why has he not done that? Well, why didn't that happen then? Well, why didn't they have this match then? It was all covered. It was all covered in the build. It was all covered in what happened. It was covered. And then Champa went away for a long time. So when he came back, I think it was when he came back, was Gargano champion or was in a position to be champion or was number one contender or something. And then um, Champa crossed a bit or something. Like I feel like he came back at the right time as well. And it was, you know, it hadn't been forgotten. You know, it, sorry, it had been forgotten sufficiently enough. But when it came back, all the feelings came back. It was just it's so hard to poke holes in. And I think that's so important when it comes down to this. It was it was a sensationally done angle, one of the absolute best, and I would like to say it's on our five. Okay, and that's a five that we need to do. I think we I think we'll be able to do quite a few of these without a shadow of a doubt, right? So I think so too. Does that one go on DIY? Definitely. Yes, it does. Mega powers. Yes. Uh, shield. Yes. Barbershop window. Yes. We're playing for a place. I think those four. We absolutely are. I, those, I just think those four are, are so solid. They're nailed um, on. They are nailed on. I'm just going to remove them from my list here so I don't have to uh, go over them too much. So we are talking. Right. We have got it down. There are six options. And I think it's going to be a case of each of us going for our favorite and pushing for it. There are six options uh, in, in no particular order. The APA, X Puck and Kane, Rock and Sock Connection, Sasha and Bailey, Beer Money and Ray and Eddie. Do you uh, want our, do, you, do we go for our best one or do we knock a couple off the bottom first? I think we both go for our best one and argue the toss on that. And I don't think you need me to tell you that mine, my choice is the APA. You know what? It probably wouldn't be my number one, but I don't have any. I don't have any push for any of them. I don't have any strong feelings. This is not one of those weeks where I've got a little sneaky one. Mm. Uh, I just simply, if you said to me, defend the indefensible, Rob, it's your job to say beer money breakups better, Sasha and Bailey's better, Rock and Sock's better. I could give you an argument. But yeah. if you flipped it, and if you'd have just said Sasha and Bailey, and you said, Rob, you've got to argue for the APA, I would be just as happy doing that. I actually think I would have almost all of these on a relatively level. I would be able to pick a one to six, but I wouldn't have them very far apart. If I was scoring them out of 100, I think I'd be giving more scores in the 80s. So I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you because I think it's a great angle. I think you did a good job earlier in the show of arguing for it. Um, so I'm with you. Uh, so the five that are going easy. It was easy, but I always felt actually that this one had a really, really good range of topics, but a real clear four. I always felt yeah. those four were, you know, were the way it was going to be. And and so when you have that, sometimes you, you just simply have to go with it. Right. So the five are 
uh, in no particular order, folks, DIY, the Shield, the Mega Powers, the Rockers, and the APA. We will now do our thing. By the time you're listening to this, the poll will be live. You need to go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. That is where you will see those five. You can click on the one that you want uh, to pick, uh, and then that will go ahead uh, and uh, be there for you. I really feel that very, very, very quickly. I just want to mention a couple of um, people that did say something for DIY because I've gone through a lot of them. Comments tonight. It'll be unfair to leave out one of the, the strongest ones. So Daniel Stockwell said DIY is right up there because of the way it was executed, the feud that followed. John Thorndike, it's got to be yeah. DIY. It led to main event pushes for both of them as opposed to just one. John O'Gibb, DIY by far. The production and the setup were just perfect. There were just three of the comments that came in for DIY. It was the one that was most mentioned. Um, uh, and so I feel like it was only right to to mention those people. Uh, so those are the five hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote to go and make your vote. Anything else, Paul, that you'd like to mention hooked on wrestling wise before we wrap up? No, we're going to keep this. I, I think this, I want to keep this one unblemished guys. Obviously when you're, when you're voting at hookedonwrestling.co.uk, don't need to tell you to, uh, to keep on there and check out some of our other content. Go and look at those columns we looked talked about before. We'll post them again during the week, actually. Rob's Barbershop Trilogy and Liam's APA write-up. Four of our absolute best columns in the six months we've been running this site. I love them to bits. Um, so go and check them out. Um, I've enjoyed this immensely. I, I often say this. I don't say it every week, but I say it a lot. But this is un unquestionably one of my favourite topics. We've gone, what, two, two and a bit hours, two, nearly two and a half hours on this one, which is about par for us. I think we could have doubled this one, mate, and I would have still enjoyed myself. There's so much depth to all this because there's nothing I like better in wrestling than when we're talking about emotions and real life. And, um, and when I say real life, I don't mean outside the, mean. the ring. I mean, I mean, I when, mean. When, when characters become real. Um, and, and these five examples we've picked in particular are such strong examples of that. So um, just just massive, massively enjoyed it today. Yeah, me so too. Thank you. thank you. Thank you to you and thank you to everyone for watching and listening. Please do spread the word about this podcast, about the family of podcasts that are out there on Hooked on Wrestling and indeed the site itself. Uh, we'll be back with you in the first instance on Sunday night, every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Uh, solely on Facebook now. That's worth saying. Some of you followers uh, just here on YouTube. Uh, we are moving the quiz to exclusively Facebook. That's right, Paul, isn't it, from this week? That's right. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, Sunday night, 8 p.m. in association with WWEEuroshop.com, giving away uh, a shirt, not necessarily to the winner of the quiz, but someone that's participated every Sunday. Uh, 8 p.m., great fun, quizzing, and a little bit of humor in there as well. Hopefully you'll join us for that. That's normally when we drop the topic for next week's podcast. All I will say is Dizzy makes an, makes an appearance right at the end, the Hooked on Wrestling cat, with perfect timing. The final third was up. We thought DIY were friends, and then Dizzy came and attacked both of them. Uh, yeah, we, uh, next week's topic, well, I won't give away what it is, but given that it's building up to a specific uh, WWE pay-per-view, we think it's going to be absolutely champion. So we'll see you then. See you for the quiz. See you for that next week. Bye, everyone. And bye, Dizzy, as he photobombs us out of here. But just remember, it's a cat. So, no, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. See you very soon. <laughs>